and welcome to the MinMax Show, a place about games, friends, and getting better. Thank you for being here. My name is Ben Hansen, and I'm joined by Jeff Marchiafava. Hello! Welcome, good sir. We have Kyle Hilliard. Hey, hello. <laughs> and then we have Leo Vader. Hi. And uh, it's actually a crazy packed crew, because we also have uh, Jenna Garcia here. Welcome, Janet! Yo, what's good? How's it going? Oh, it's going well. Uh, everybody on YouTube, you might be noticing a new layout for this episode with five people. It can still accommodate it. So thanks to Gavin Thompson, graphic designer, for doing our new layout for MinMax. Uh, we're always eager for feedback. So keep that rolling in. Um, we have got a packed show today because we got this full crew on, including Janet pounding coffee. She basically, if you can't see the video version, Janet has like a gerbil water feeder, but it seems like it's just for coffee during this review season. Okay, it's a it's a McCafe coffee, not sponsored, <laughs> but should be. McDonald's, get on it. Fan mm-hmm. of the show, obviously. Mm-hmm. Naturally. Heard of them. Um, but we're going to be talking about Dying Light 2, Stay Human, the new Techland joint. Then, of course, we're going to be talking about the fact that Sony bought Bungie. Good Lord. Um, then we're going to be talking about Pokemon Legends Arceus. We are doing the deepest dive on Pokemon Legends Arceus, and we have the first part of the best, most thorough discussion about that game on the internet live on YouTube and in the Patreon exclusive podcast feed right now. But I want to keep talking about it. So we have special guests coming in to talk all about that. Then we have a ton of great community questions that people submitted over there on Patreon, of course. Uh all right, let's kick the sucker off. Let's get right to Dying Light to Stay Human, which, you know, we talked about it, I think, in some meeting or maybe uh, during one of the shows uh, earlier this week for New Show Plus or something. Um, but there is, it's one of those series that you forget how beloved and how popular that first one was. Like, we asked people what they're excited for us to talk about this week on the show, and it was like, Dying Light stay, Dying Light 2 Stay Human above Pokemon Legends, Arceus. It was like, wow, I... Really? It is shocking to me, but like that first game quietly has just been selling and impressing people since 2015. So we've all been playing Dying Light 2, Stay Human without no colon. Okay, yep. great. Yep. Everyone's nodding. Uh, Jeff, I, I thought it was I've Dying Light 2 with human. my colons. <laughs> oh no. I too had to check what the real name of the game was. And I'm like, is Stay Human like their tagline? Are we actually saying that? And then like sometimes <laughs> when they're marketing, they don't. But then I looked on Amazon, which is like, when in doubt, go to Jeff Bezos, and I'm like, okay, this is a man who knows gaming. That's right. This is the name of the game. I will say it once, and then I will never call it that again. I just, I would love to know the meeting. Some marketers are getting paid, but that meeting when they realize, like, we're losing steam in the marketing of this game, how do we rally? I know. We'll throw Stay Human onto the back half of this name. That'll pull it through. That'll rally people up. Because you think, what what alternative is there? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Play the game to find out, this. bro. Um, Jeff, how much have you played of this sucker? Uh, maybe like 10 hours. Oh, wow. Okay. I played like probably first hour and a half. Uh, Kyle, where are you at? I like two. Okay. Maybe. Yeah. Leo? Six. Okay. Ladies and gentlemen, Janet Garcia, how much have you played of Dying Light 2 Stay Human? I have rolled credits on it. It took me about 28 hours. Janet. Not 500. Not 500, yes. Not 500. Uh, but more than the 20 that they said it would take. Not that that means that they that wasn't an accurate estimation, but I did a little bit of side stuff and just the natural playthrough was a little longer. Right. Uh, we're going to kick off, especially when we have a panel of five people, the only way to accurately get everybody's thoughts out there about this game is I think everybody needs to make their review of the game so far in the tone of a just like a, a pitch, you know what I mean? So make a sound with the pitch of your likability of this game. Okay, ready? And this is the review of Dying Light 2 Stay Human. Three, two, one, go. Uh, <laughs> Janet, did we get a pitch everybody. out of you? 
Yeah, well, I f- that, because I finished it, I have a lot to say. <laughs> <'Cause> it, <laughs> so it more places. than more than just the tone. <laughs> yeah, we got to move on to Sony buying uh, Bungie here, Janet. That's fair. Uh, okay, uh, yeah, Janet. I guess you finished this thing. I saw your tweet where you said you kind of cooled on it by the end, but up until then, you were digging it. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed a lot of my time with it. I, I went into this expecting a sort of basic game and not much more. I hadn't played the first one, but mm. I was interested in this for the parkour elements. And I'm like, I think this will, you know, secretly be solid. Um, yeah. Maybe kind of like a Far Cry level type experience for me personally. I kind of put those games as good, not often super great. Yeah. Um, and I was like, okay, this is what I'm getting. I threw my bat and the zombie flew like 80 feet in the air. I'm like, this is going to be a, a goofy experience. But then as I played, I felt like it did get more layered. Um, and once I got into like the tone of the world, it felt less melodramatic. Because at first it feels like they're trying really hard to like make you feel like the story is super serious. Look, this guy just died. You you watched him die. It was crazy. But then you're also just like, like and then you can jump over someone's head and kick him in the chest. And I'm like, which direction are we going here tonally? But I do yeah. think it ends up working quite well um and i really loved a lot of my time with it i think it just got better and better and then it reached kind of its height and i was like wow this is awesome i love this game and then it was like kind of like all right maybe the kind of the best things have been said and then the ending was like one of the worst video game endings i've ever experienced in my life um i was in tears at the final boss crying from laughter in my room out loud trying to hold back yes i swear and I, i know it sounds so mean but i cannot understate how horrible the ending of this game is. I, I still recommend it because I liked most of it, but that's the ride I went on, and it was insane. I need I to watch wait. YouTube video. Yeah, this sounds this sounds delightful. That almost incentivizes me more. It does. One. It's a little bit, honestly. Like I was at the end, and I mean, I'm not going to spoil the ending because I, you know, don't want to ruin it for people. But I was. I was just like, you know what? I'm, I am laughing, right? Like I'm kind of. This is, this is almost. It's I guess emotion. it's fine, right? It's its own entertainment, but man. <laughs> This would be a fun game to stream and react to, though, live for an audience, because I had a blast, like, reacting to the crazy stuff going down narratively and all that. I'm trying to wrap my mind around the reaction so far, uh, because the reviews are all over the damn place. Like, GameSpot gave it a 6. Reiner over at Game Informer gave it a 9.5. Like, that was the first review I saw, so I'm like, holy (laughs) lord! Okay, we're talking, like, God of War-level quality here that's absurd. And then everybody else is a little bit meh. Seems like the story is largely forgettable that that's like a big takeaway it seems like from basically everybody i like the story you did okay all right well maybe it, yeah they really all are over the place i think it's like starting out it definitely is that feeling of like okay first person game zombie game troy baker open world i i feel Wait, who's I, troy baker he's the main character it's, it just sounds like him i don't think it's him yeah it's it it's not, not and not i troy baker aiden someone what? else no it is it is yeah. troy baker no i, I looked no, it up because i was yeah what <laughs> Are you serious? Yeah. I could have sworn I've heard them talk through. about being on this game. Are you sure you're playing Dying Light 2 and not uh, the medium? I Yeah, we're talking about the medium, right? This is unbelievable. Are you serious? I'm on the exact same, the same page as you, man. I had the exact same conversation and in my apartment because my boyfriend's like, "That's is that Trey Baker? And he started looking it up and I'm like, he's like, no, it's some guy that I'm not familiar with. It's not Trey Baker. Okay. Yeah, Why not get named, someone who doesn't uh, sound Jonah exactly Scott. like him? Wow. Okay. Look, I feel like this is I, multiple I, times we've mislabeled Troy Baker as an actor in a game. Yeah, oh you guys God. are also like certain he was playing Alan Wake and Alan Wake Two, and I was yeah. like, <laughs> I, I blame Leo on that. I blame Leo on that. Okay. Yeah. I, I went. I went through the same thing where I was like, oh, I didn't know Troy Baker was doing this, and then like there were parts where I was like, wait, is that Nolan North? Because I'm 
I'm really getting Nathan Drake vibes from it. And then I looked it up and it's like, oh, I guess it's not either of them. <laughs> That's absurd. Anyways, Troy Baker, what do you think about the game? I mean, Jeff Marquiafava, what do you think about the game? Uh, I'm, I'm enjoying it um, so far. I, I was a big fan of the original Dead Island, which yeah. was, which was the, like the first time where I was like, wow, like Techland is deceptively, they're deceptively doing it. Like they, they've got the chops underneath. Like if you just watch, you know, trailers or you saw that who do you voodoo, which like, they make clips, a reference to in this which game, which I was they very delighted to see. Yeah. Uh, you, you may not, you may not understand, like they make really interesting systems, heavy games, Dead Island, the first Dead Island was a little rough, but when they started making Dying Light and they added the par- parkour element, that's where it, like it really started to gel and it and it and they become different from normal open world games and other zombie games. Yeah, so you're enjoying your time with this thing so far? Yeah. Yeah, I have been. And like I I I don't think the the previous ones hit me quite as hard because they have the whole day night cycle and everything becomes much more dangerous at night and they they really they succeed in giving me just like a kind of guttural fear of going up because they give you all these powers like you're you're pretty strong and you can flip over and climb up pretty much anything you want and you you're knocking zombies around as Janet said but they at nighttime, like they do a good job of putting you in situations where it's like, actually, now you just have to kind of creep and you're you're just kind of going to tiptoe right next to zombies and they're going to start waking up. And like that gets me every time and really freaks me out in, <laughs> in a weird in a weird way. Like it it reminds me the most of Minecraft, I think, in terms of like what? There, there are times like. Like early when I was playing, you know, you you get to a safe zone on top of a building wherever, and there are UV lights, so that keeps all the zombies. It's like okay, I'm safe up here, and and I kind of just didn't want to leave until morning came. But I was like, well, you know, I was I was kind of walking around on the roof, and then I fell off the roof like a moron, and like I fell into an alley. My life was completely wiped out. I was in the dark. I was surrounded by zombies, and like the first thought of it was like. I have to get off the ground and I have to somehow get back to safety. And it, yeah. it's that same kind of feeling that I get from Minecraft of like, I just want to get inside and I want to huddle down and I want to wait because everything's dark and scary at night. That that sounds great. I, I should probably keep playing the game to get to that point. I got that nauseated might just be pretty me. easily. <laughs> I am compelled by a game that can make three enemies scary. And like, if you don't play your cards right, you can lose to them. I like that. There's weightiness to the combat that way. And I really like the feeling of the parkour, the weight to that. I think it's a good balance of how it flows and feeling like you're actually a person with a body that's being taken into account. Yeah. yeah. The, like the number of times I've clenched up trying to make a jump and being like, is he going to grab it? And, you know, and then he's kind of struggling to hold on the, the uh, stamina system. I'm, it, it, the other thing that's really interesting about this game is I is there's obviously you know Breath of the Wild influences in there, and it's stuff that I really didn't like in Breath of the Wild, and I'm I'm having trouble you know like I'm enjoying this more, but maybe I shouldn't be because you still got the breakable weapons, you have the annoying stamina thing where I'm halfway up a building and now I'm falling down because I didn't have the stamina, and then you got the binoculars where you're. You just have to like look at windmills and have them <laughs> pop up on your map. So just to be clear that you're saying you're enjoying this more than Breath of the Wild. 
Yeah, everyone knows that I, okay. I wasn't a huge Breath of the Wild I, I knew fan. that you we weren't over think... the moon about it, but to that level, okay. I mean, that's that's saying something, I guess, for, for what we're working with here. Um, Leo, what do you think of this thing so far? What stands out to you other than the parkour? Um, I Standing out to me is kind of this open world formula. It almost feels last gen in some ways. Totally. Yeah. The, yep. the huge skill trees and the feeling like it is taking forever to get a skill point is a little frustrating. I feel like when I boot that game up, it's like I'm playing this because I'm excited to get something later because it looks like I'll be having more fun when I get more of that skill tree unlocked versus like the core ground rules they give you from the beginning are that fun and that engaging. I had the same problem with Just Cause 3 mm. where I, I had to like come back to it years later and get a new appreciation for it because it's like, oh, it does have a really fun tool set. They just gate it behind upgrades so you feel like you're making more progress. And that's kind of frustrating. Right, right. Um, so Janet, you are digging the story. Like the big pitch with this game, back when they first debuted it, E3 2018, it was like Chris Avalon going out there, former Obsidian writer known for KOTOR 2 and all this. Um, uh, he, they, by the way, they've since cut ties with him after sexual assault allegations, uh, so he's been kicked to the curb. Um, not getting out there talking about this game much now, uh, but at least back then, his big pitch was, hey, the city's going to react to your decisions, and everything's going to change depending on which way you go, and everything's going to be dynamic and almost procedural-esque for how things evolve. And you seem to be lightly shaking your head at that concept. <laughs> yeah, um, we oh. talked a bit about that. You know, I was on the kind of funny review that we did as well. And they also brought up the old E3 stuff. And to echo what they said, not to say that it's like, then then they took it out or they lied right, right. or, you know, things change. But it's definitely not that dynamic. Uh, at the same time, I don't I, I mean, I guess it's disappointing if you were looking for that and really wanted to feel like you know, I made this decision and now this whole quest line is like, I can't even access it because I just right. changed the scope of the story. It is not nearly that reactive um, at all. It's pretty basic in its, in its reactivity, honestly, because you are still going to the same place narratively, which makes sense because, you know, like there's different endings, like, and the different endings are more like, this, we got, had the same big plot point, but like instead A happened or B. And then if we look at these side stories, uh, this happened to Sarah. And in my game, like Sarah had a different outcome or something like that. Um, and it's very much quite literally just told to you at the end mm. as well, which is also like not the best. Um, but what I liked about the decisions is just the drama of what would happen immediately in the moment, even if it didn't really have a big impact on my overall playthrough or what I experienced, just because I just think it was fun to immediately have someone you know flip on you that you thought was fine oh i showed up to this mission just kidding they were trying to kill me mm. uh, and then the guy tells me like oh i i only did this because i'm trying to save my brother so do i kill him or do i have mercy like i liked those things even though i wasn't necessarily given a whole lot of inf information to make an informed decision at those moments on what would be the best thing i thought they were very like dramatic and over the top kind of life is strange ask and i like stuff like that in games huh. um and the biggest thing to like your choice is changing the experience on like a gameplay level is do you give facilities which you can like overtake like any open world game like windmills power generators and things like that do you give them to the pks the peacekeepers who are like basically like the military cops or the survivors and then right. 
the survivors will give you like more parkour stuff in the city and you can get like a special revive and then the pks provide like more weapons and stuff on the street so that's kind of like are you into parkour or combat slash are you into helping the survivors or like the military if you wanted to look at it from like a more moral lens instead of a mechanical lens um but i didn't really feel like that mattered i found that kind of the both sidesness of the factions i thought was made it very like toothless to me where huh. i never gave the pks anything but narratively in the story there's plenty of times where you're working with the peacekeepers because that's how the story's set up and it's like oh well i'm just trying to find my sister and i don't care about these two factions as aiden but then as a player i have to pick between the two but then they don't really care when i like do horrible things to the peacekeepers because later they conveniently like either don't know about it or don't care so it's like well why'd you even put this in here at this point but you know not the biggest offense in my opinion i play plenty of story games that are where the choices are a little bit artifice but i think that will be a little disappointing if you were looking for something that really had like weight and dynamics to it in a narrative sense. It doesn't quite have that, but I think it's still a lot of fun to make the decisions, even if they don't have a huge splash like we thought they might. Yeah, I, I feel like this game is probably going to be a sweet spot. Maybe even going back to like fans of Dead Island, it was like, I just want an open world co-op zombie game to play with friends and the parkour is cool. It, it, does it, it going to succeed? Is it will it succeed I on mean, that level for folks? I like this more than Far Cry personally. Okay. Like I think Far Cry's has less lows like i wasn't ever like the the, the things that have happened in, in dying light 2 especially at the end i never had a low that low in in the last far cry game but i enjoyed this overall more like it felt fresher like i think it is very basic open world and you have windmills you have like you pick up everything but i'm like yeah. i like picking up everything and i think the windmill stuff is fun because they kind of turn it into a little parkour puzzle the generator stuff like it never really feels too repetitive versus in something like far cry and this is not to drag far cry just as an example at the end of the day i'm killing everybody in a thing and then i get the thing and like sometimes a thing is an outpost sometimes a thing is a tower like it's still right. i blow something up while here it's okay well here you're solving like a wire puzzle here you're climbing up something here you're doing so- like i never felt bored during this and they still give you like more tools throughout which i know some people complain about feeling like it takes too long to get your full tool set which is fair but for me i i like that like 18 hours in i was still getting a tutorial screen and i'm like holy cow you hmm. still have more mechanical things to say and i'm so deep into the game and i think that really helped for me, keep it from being stagnant or boring because that stuff was always happening. And then the background, there's like the narrative drama. So I thought that was like really well balanced. And and I was like I said, I was really hot in this game. And then I got to the end and I'm like, I think it's just good. Like I gave it okay. a three out of five. I'm like, it is a good game that could have been great. And it wasn't for me for a number of reasons, right, uh, right. especially the ending, because it was real, real rough at the end. I cannot yeah. understand how bad the ending is. I'm fascinated by that. Uh, yeah, just you like, have to you have to see it, I and then if you to. do, please message me. Okay, I, I would was love to. texting people like crazy about this ending. It is it is wild. All right, I, I love that idea. Um, yeah, just from like the beginning, um, the controls really stood out to me. Like, okay, R one to jump, and then the part where they teach you how to kick by uh, <laughs> by the way, Kyle, it's just breaking the layout. <laughs> <laughs> but the part where the DJ had a kick by hitting L1 and R2 at the same time, I was like, okay, these feel like some weird legacy controls. I never from got Techland good at here. that. Well, the, but you don't need to. Okay, and, and, and it's I th- I thought the same thing too for for a minute, but then I realized like they want it on the shoulders so that you can still use both of the joysticks, so that you can you know you right, can, you don't right. have to take it off to press the jump button while you're kind of trying to aim and navigate things so, right right but yeah it, it definitely does feel weird and there are times where it's like okay i'm trying to jump off the roof and kick this guy when i 
land, but which button was it to do that? And sure, sure. It uh, yeah, it feels very cross-gen. I think I'm at that point in the new consoles where I'm playing a game, and it's like, I wish, I wish this didn't feel so last generation overall. Uh, visually, I'm playing on PS5. I think I was expecting it to, to pop a little bit more. I, am I nuts? Does it get more impressive visually later on? I, I think that comes down to your expectations because yeah. I went into it not, and no offense to Techland because I think they do make great games, but I, they're not, I don't expect the, you know, like top visuals from them. And it, and I mean, it looks, I'm playing it on PS5 too, and it yeah. looks good. It's yeah, yeah, it does. It does feel mid gen. And then some of the game design definitely does feel last gen. Yeah. Yeah, but I think it's preferable to giving last gen, you know, a crap version that barely works when there's still more PS4s out there than like any other system and people still can't get PS5s, you know? Yeah. It's just kind of going to be the reality for a while still, I think. Yeah. All right. Uh, Jeff, are you going to see this sucker through, you think? Boy, you know, <laughs> we'll hold you we to went it. from like having no games to play to like, I have like half a dozen on my PS5 now that yeah. I really want to get to. I this. I hope at least that this is one of those that I can keep going back to when there are dry spells, you know, because it it is like I played, a, I put many, many more hours than what was required into Dead Island. And I would like, I would like this to be that kind of game where I go back and I just spend a lot of time, you know, getting and upgrading weapons, even if that's just kind of soaking up time and not advancing me through the story. I like, I like the kind of open world that they have built because it feels different from other ones at least in terms of the danger and the yeah. combat and stuff so yeah curious to see where it lands did you find like, the uh is it who do you voodoo was that that was from right did you find that yep. reference yep <laughs> kyle we Three already times. talked about that one of those 14 times that you dropped out of the call way, but we appreciate your there. input on this segment also there's a glider kyle in case you didn't <gasps> didn't know Gosh. so when i got the glider i was like this is kyle's moment right here i'm living it I'm having a lot of those moments uh, right now in games, turns out. In, in shut February. up, shut up. <laughs> hey, Kyle, hot take. Yes. Sony, bot, Bungie, your beloved Bungie, going back to your beloved Halo. <laughs> what, was, uh, what was your gut reaction to that one? Well, uh, I mean, my gut reaction was like, whoa, that's, that's crazy. And then my secondary reaction was like, I don't think this affects me at all. Because I don't play <laughs> Destiny, and I don't think I suddenly will start. Um, but it is like the craziest thing about it to me is just the fact that Bungie was like, you know, was with Microsoft and then Activision and then Independent and now with Sony. Like, I don't it's has any other developer ever bounced around like that. I was trying to think. Like, it's like rare, like, but rare was the only the closest I came up with between Nintendo and Microsoft. But that's it. Mm -hmm. yeah. And that was like a clean thing. It wasn't going independent and then getting absorbed. Uh, but obviously mind-boggling. They bought them for $3.6 yeah. billion. Which, by the way, as more time passes, do you think Ted Price and the crew at Insomniac are like, can't believe we sold for $900 million? Like, that seems like a freaking steal now in retrospect. But, you know, I think Bungie's a bigger studio overall, so sure. Um, but $3.6 billion for this sucker. And what blows my mind is thinking about it like... In those terms, obviously, it's like, oh, it's crazy for the developers of Halo, the original developers of Halo, to be a Sony studio now. But the part that blows my mind is, like, remember when they were marketing Destiny? They build it as from the creators of Halo and Call of Duty. 
because Activision was publishing it, obviously. And I was like, that's so weird, because now, like, people who were lured in by that advertising got into the Destiny ecosystem are now going to be hooked on, like, a PlayStation platform, whereas Call of Duty and Halo are obviously now Microsoft. It's just an impossible, weird loop of corporate juggling. It is very weird, yeah. Everybody's, everybody's shifting around. Contrary to, you know, how Microsoft is messaging everything, where it's still shades of gray for the exclusivity for Call of Duty and Activision Blizzard stuff moving forward. It seems, it seems like the messaging is clear here that they are not doing this to lock things down for exclusivity. So Jim Ryan, Mr. PlayStation head honcho, he said, now Leo, you tell me where there's, uh, you know, a draft in this window. Uh, Jim Ryan says, quote, everybody wants the extremely large Destiny 2 community, whatever platform they're on, to be able to continue to enjoy their Destiny 2 experiences. And that approach will apply to future Bungie releases. That is unequivocal. Philosophically, this isn't about pulling things into the PlayStation world. This is about building huge and wonderful new worlds together. <laughs> this had, and then he quote says, this had nothing to do with industry consolidation. This had everything to do with a shared vision and how we could do things better together. I didn't realize money was even involved. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, the wording is certainly making it seem like for future Bungie things, which they're working on that presumably fantasy dungeon-based thing with NetEase, that that's not going to be exclusive, which is crazy that they're messaging that they're this gonna, quickly. They're going to change the name to Grungy, and then everything's going to be exclusive. Oh, so. that's really smart. That's really smart. Yeah. I really think the most likely outcome is Sony keeps doing what they've been doing, which is like paying for exclusive content within games that aren't exclusive to them. And now they just won't have to pay for it. Now it'll be like part of the deal. You know, there's Hitman missions that you can still only play on PlayStation. There's Resident Evil 7 VR. There's like all kinds of exclusives they pay for. And, and even in Bungie, like in, in Destiny, I think they've had stuff that's like weeks yeah. early on PlayStation platforms. And I think that's just going to be it, more and more of the norm. It, it is weird. It's It feels like kind of a weird defensive maneuver of like, okay, well, we just have to start buying. And Jim Riley said there that more... Jim um, Ryan. <laughs> not Jim Ryan, Riley, yes, your old quarter. Not Jim Riley. <laughs> yes. He, he said that more acquisitions are coming too, mm -hmm. which was, Surprising, but it, it feels kind of like a weird like we have to start buying these companies just so that Microsoft doesn't buy them and make them exclusive in the future. Kind of, <laughs> who like, knows? Like I mean, just just so that there are there are still games that we can publish. But also, I like from his perspective, if three years from now they publish an exclusive Bungie game that's exclusive to PlayStation, like what's the penalty to him? The police are going right. to show up at his door and arrest him, <laughs> like. I think we've learned that there's extreme consequences to everything you do and say in this world. Right. Uh, yeah, I, I, I think you're probably right. <laughs> uh, a little bit like Dying Light 2. It's like, hey, we're all going the same place. It's like, I mean, the flavor text is a little different, but, you know, it's fine. That's true. Um, yeah, I think you're probably right. I mean, the reasoning for why they wanted to buy other than just, hey, we have a shared vision and here we go. Like, by the way, it was funny to hear like Herman Holst, head of Worldwide Studios for PlayStation, talk about like, you know, I used to be a gorilla. We used to make a game called Killzone, and we studied the Halo franchise a little bit. So I just love like how things evolve. The idea of like Herman Hulst now being the underdog to Halo with the Killzone series is now like, and now we'll just own you guys, and we'll take all of your talent and your experience. But their messaging is very much 
that, oh, no, no, it's not about exclusivity. We're doing this just for their experience and their knowledge about building living games because we realize that's the future, and obviously that's a big gap in PlayStation's library since we're focusing so much on single-player, story-driven content that they realize that when the world's moving that way, they just want to tap into that mind power, which is interesting um, because I remember from Jason Schreier's book, which I think we've talked about on the last episode as well, um, but uh, he has a big piece about the launch of destiny one and in that they were all struggling with becoming a live service developer and just figuring out the rpg mechanics how we're locking this thing down and so they tapped into because they had the activision connection the diablo team so it's funny that like they pulled all the knowledge from the diablo team of how to do this living game style thing and now it's like okay now that's an xbox thing so now playstation needs the knowledge of how to do a living game or live service game from Bungie here. So again, it's back to that fun full circle thing. You can't get away from it. Yeah, it's musical chairs at this point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they say Bungie. that um, they, so in an investor call, um, they said that within, what is it? They said they're going to have 10 live service games released by 2026 for PlayStation. And so like trying to piece together what those could be, it's like, okay. Actions. Yep, Last of Us Factions, uh, the multiplayer thing. That's probably going to be some live service thingy. Maybe the new Sony Bend IP that they're working on, the Days Gone developers. Maybe they're going to be pushing that direction there. Who knows? But then they have like these soft partnerships where it's kind of a second party situation with studios like uh, Jade Raymond's new studio, uh, Haven up there in Montreal. They're making some party-based, online, creativity-focused thing. There's that new Twisted Metal game, I guess, uh, outside of the second party, but that Twisted Metal game that they're working on, there's probably going to be live service then if you're going to read the tea leaves here. Um, Firewalk Studios, which is really fascinating, uh, they have their... They also have probably Monsters. Probably Monsters, I think, is like the little publisher, and then Firewalk Studios is a sub within that. But that is uh, run by Harold Ryan, who's the former president of Bungie, and he split off, and they announced that partnership a while ago. So they already have more Bungie talent in this umbrella. Um, then they have Deviation, or yeah, Deviation Studios, which I forgot about, which is like former Call of Duty Zombies developers, like kind of the zombie, or the, yeah, zombie leads from Treyarch. They're also probably going to be making something life service So it's fun to try and piece that stuff together for what it could be. Um, but we talk about everybody under the sun being purchased and bought up. Um, I just tweeted, um, asking like, Hey, who are like the big indies left? Who's out there that is still fully independent? Um, and it's fascinating that we had like multiple people respond and this is a knock against them. And they just said like, uh, Capcom. Cause like that is the level of the game industry that we're at where people are like just a studio and a company that big, like a publisher is just seen as like they're independent. Right. But it's like oh, third party publisher. But at this point it just feels like, yeah, they're probably next on the block to be purchased. So it they feel independent relative to these behemoths at this point. Yeah. They're not one of the world's six main companies. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> Therefore there's India's can be. Um, but here's a, a list. Uh, please weigh in if you think that the odds are likely that these studios are going to be purchased at some point. You see, like these are the larger scale indies of varying sizes and whatnot, but still independent. Remedy, probably be number. Purchased. What's that? Well, surprised you're in- surpri- purchased for sure. Surprised yeah. you're even still out there. You're probably there's probably some paperwork back on the PlayStation offices that you're. That's probably going to change. I'm. Sh- I- Agreed. I actually feel uh, different. I think that they're really comfortable with Epic. I don't. I think they're in good shape. Yeah, oh, so yeah, they, they have right? the deals with Epic like, for funding the new games, and then also with Five Hundred Five for control and stuff. Point. So they have that. But still, I think if someone's backing up a dump truck of money in this world now, they, they are definitely 
when they go down, but I, I feel like that's the, thing the that end I'm of saying the era. Is Epic already did. Yeah. Like they have their dump truck. Like they're good. Yeah. At least you know. I mean, what else? they're making? They get to make Alan Wake too now with Epic money. Like what else? What else they need? That's true. Right. Epic is giving them the exclusivity money, or they're more than that. They own it. Them? I, no, no, they don't own it's, them. It's a weird. That's the thing. It's such it's like a, a deal. Cool deal. Like they get this like a they're, lot of money without a lot of asterisks. And I think they're that's like they're the into deal. creating shared worlds. Is I think. <laughs> oh, let mm, just say they just have the that. same vision. So. Yeah, and I know you know they were. They had some trouble with Quantum Break's development and they're really into their independence with a game like Control. So maybe that'll run for a while longer, but they definitely feel like an outlier. Like, oh my God. I don't know who's saying no in that studio, but they stand out. Uh, Supergiant on the smaller end. I feel like everybody must be banging on their door and saying, hey, give us Hades. Give us Transistor, please. Uh, I'm sure they're fielding off requests left and right. Game Freak, technically independent. I know that's a complicated one, but technically still that's a large independent hurt. studio. Uh, Falcom. The East developers if, real over quick, there. Just to pause, what if there was a press release that was like, Nintendo purchases Game Freak? Honestly. <laughs> everyone would be like, wait, what? Yeah, everyone would be surprised. Like, how is that possible? But still could. You how know? does that not already... Stop correcting us when we say it's a Nintendo... Actually, it's a Game Freak game. It's just on <laughs> yeah, Nintendo. Yeah. Po- exactly. It would, it would just be the Insomniac situation where everyone would be like, oh, I... Th- I thought that was already the yeah. case. Oh, okay. Absolutely. It's such a Nintendo acquisition, though, because all their acquisitions are yeah. like that. They're like, after 80 years of working with this studio, we've decided to purchase that. Yeah, exactly. We finally trust Next Level Games after they've knocked it out of the park That's for exactly 20 what years. That's exactly I was thinking yeah. of, yes. Um, Drinkbox, Nobody Saves the World. Uh, they're independent. Uh, they're on the chopping block, maybe. You never know. Uh, Platinum Games, over there in Japan, still independent. That could be IO. I know they're big on their independence now with the Hitman series, buying it back from Square and whatnot, but Leo, any chance to think IO's getting gobbled up? Yeah. Yeah. I think they, I think first and foremost, that company seems to just want to be secure. <laughs> like whatever route they can take to get to that. India has worked for them, but I don't know, I guess, about the longevity. I feel like it's going to be a long time between now and when that 007 game gets out. Yeah, that's true. So I don't know how they're supporting themselves till then. And that's the weird part, too, is it, I mean, we've been surprised so many times now by these acquisitions. So you just got to think about like, who's at kind of a low point that clearly has a lot of talent? I think CD Projekt Red is right up there for big suits and they're all about their independence you know i remember in their studio they have like a big banner that just says we are rebels like they're very proud of it at the same time it's like i don't at this point i think they'd be more viable than any time in the last five years i mean bungie has one of those big posters too don't they? <laughs> yeah that's true they have a declaration <laughs> of independence and was they also see project has gog right like that's sort of right they have more they have more money like than gog Steve, kind of yeah. Uh, Techland, Kojima Productions, which I could see Sony buying Kojima Productions. Um, yeah. Battlestate, Yacht Club, uh, the Terraria developers, Relogic, Larian Studios, I think would be another good get. I think Microsoft has plenty of, uh, you know, CRPG studios at this point, but that's a biggie. Maybe PlayStation could gobble it up. Clay, Chucklefish, also a publisher, but somebody could scoop them up. Play Dead, somebody could get them. Moon Studios, technically independent, the Ori developers. Um, so there's your there's your shopping list, everybody H- out there. Hans, yeah, Hansa, I love your list. Thank and you. I love, I love the effort you put into it. Yeah. But the last purchase before this one was Activision. I think like if if companies are going to shell out the money for this, it's going to be Ubisoft or it's going to yeah. be EA. It's going to be like they're going for big places that have a ton of IP and. And are also somewhat competition, you know, because they're they are putting out these big franchises themselves. I don't. Yeah, 
I don't know that they're going to care about, you know, like all those developers are great, but it's like, if you're going to spend the money, like, go big. Now that you mention it, I really feel like Ubisoft is a contender. I feel like they've had so many misses lately. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Um, I I do think, I mean. Microsoft bought, like, Embracer. Like, would that just, like. That would be. Did they even. God. It'd be mind-boggling. All that IP that they recently purchased. Yeah, it would truly be mind-boggling. I mean, there were rumors years and years ago, and I'm sure everybody heard these or heard rumblings that Microsoft was going to buy Square Enix, and then that went away. But yeah, I would honestly be surprised if by the end of this year, Square Enix and Capcom or Capcom have not been purchased by Microsoft or Sony. I feel like that's a ticking clock for the big thing to gobble up, and both of them are probably hungry for it. Uh, yum yum meet em up as they say um oh just like you know uh new york times purchased uh, wordle by the way for low that seven figures <laughs> so they're getting in the gaming space in a big bad way congratulations janet by the way for winning wordle thank you i was gonna i'm, I'm like it's weird no one's mentioned it yet yes I, <laughs> on my first guess it was all green i play every night with my boyfriend like my boyfriend's shaking his head right now off screen this is the first time y'all can't hear him on the uh-huh, podcast because uh-huh. for some reason he's just quite just quiet enough um he was so bitter about it and i'm so happy and i know even when he gets it he's gonna feel like it's just it took him too long I, I did it and everyone's been asking is that was that my starter word no i choose a new word every time because i live in the chaos love it i love that yeah, um nice. yeah this is on wednesday so if you haven't heard wednesday's word yet please tune out um, but can I spoil today's word? The one that Janet got you, you started with moist Janet. Yes. <laughs> You're a and I was, freaking maniac. it was tense because I was at first, at first I was going to put like hoist, but then, which I think is spelled right. I, I honestly just be putting stuff in there. I don't even uh, know what words are. I'm just like, <laughs> don't tell me if it's wrong or not. And then I was like, no, I feel like M is more common than H. Like I feel like I see M a lot. And then, man, when that green lit up, like, I never have I felt more. I've done a lot of things this week that I'm very proud of. I've worked very hard. And yet all of it eclipsed Mm -hmm. by this uh, this (laughs) win in Wordle. I felt the jubilation I experienced. My heart started racing, smiling from ear to ear. I have not. And that's when I realized I am a freaking nerd. I'm like, this is the saddest, most pathetic way to get this level of joy. And I don't care. No one can take it from me. I was just... Well, I, you couldn't tell me anything. It was like when I won Pac-Man 99. Like, I haven't <laughs> felt a high like that in ages. Um, yeah, well, congratulations. Yeah, so. Well, now you're like the perfect New York Times subscriber. You, they got you right where they want you. And now they could start rolling out some ads. They're like, hey, subscribe to the New York Times. You can play two rounds of Wordle a day. You're going to be right there, ready well, to go. Today's word is won. Times again. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. think Janet beat it. Like, are you even going to play tomorrow at this point? Oh, I mean, yeah. I'm just going to play. I still like it, but I do feel like I won, and I feel like I beat the game. Like I rolled yeah. credits on Wordle. Absolutely. Like I should add this to my list of games I beat because I feel like that is the ultimate. It is the ultimate moment. And I've seen it happen to others. Um, like Greg got it a few like like weeks like, yeah, ago or something, count. and I'm like, when will it be? When will this happen? And I'm just, I'm so amazed by you know. <laughs> I don't even. I have so many people to thank. So many names run through my mind, but. Yeah. Um, thank you for giving me a, a platform to talk about this today on you this bet. show. Um, I wasn't planning on it. And then Jeff Cork sent me a message and he said, you're going to talk about Janet winning Wordle on the podcast, right? And I was like, I don't know. I don't think so. He's like, are you nuts? It's crazy. So congratulations. That yeah. is crazy. Congrats. And uh, on that word too is just. It's stunning. Um, hey, um, we got a lot more show to get to. You can't keep us from the rest of this show. Uh, so everybody who has a solid internet connection, do you want to go ahead and clap out at this point? 
<laughs> Thank you for being here. Oh my God, we have Odell Harmon Jr., former Game Informer intern. Yeah. Welcome, Odell. Nice of you to be here, sir. Thank you, thank you. I appreciate the welcome, as always. Yeah. I love to talk about Pokemon. That's the thing, yeah. It seems like you're constantly screaming uh, online and begging for people to talk about Pokemon with you, so we couldn't have this episode with Pokemon Legends Arceus out and not talk to you about this. But that's not all. We're also joined, of course, by Nicole Zavalich. Welcome back, Nicole! Hello! Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited to talk about Pokemon. Yeah! It's the only thing I talk about, really, so... Well, this is the right time to do it. I mean, we did, uh, we recorded the deepest dive all about Pokemon Legends Arceus, where we talked about it for three hours, but uh, yeah, I'm still, I'm still excited about this game. There's still a lot to try and wrap my brain around it. I need more of this discussion. Kyle, I'm very curious about your thoughts about this. How much have you played of Pokemon Legends Arceus so far? Uh, so I've played, I like, four four hours or something like that. But, like... (laughs) family's like all in like i think my daughter is at the end i think she's almost beaten it i think really yeah so you've been watching but i did get i think we can say as much for embargo but i did get distracted by horizon right so okay all right well what do you think kyle before we get to the real pokemon experts and look you're an expert in your own right what do you think oh, about sure. this thing yeah. so far i i mean really positive out yeah. of the gate like really happy with it just like I just and it was like the thing that I remember I was like previously that we were kind of like I was like down on is like it's not really open world right and it's not really open world but like that core idea of physically throwing a pokeball at a pokemon is executed really well <laughs> and that's super fun and it makes everything else kind of like any other disappointment I have with it like you know like the visuals of the environment for example right kind of wash away because it's just like I'm having fun catching pokemon this feels like something new for the first time in a long time i know i I feel like i assume you all are in the same camp if you were talking to somebody who hasn't been following games the pokemon series closely and you just explained like no it's 2022 and we can finally throw a pokeball at something and catch it and it feels like an epiphany they'd be like what are you talking about but that is like the biggest feeling right it's like oh i can finally do all these things that i should have been doing for the last 20 years oh wait yeah real quick the, the beginning of that game, I don't know if it's even a spoiler, <laughs> but like that, the, the it's like it's not what I expected at all. Like, I did yeah, not get, expect you get that to be into the past, yeah. Like, that it's almost like a Pokemon mystery dungeon kind of introduction to the world, and it's like, oh, okay, sure. Yeah, it was the most common comment for the deepest dive, Kyle, is people saying, okay. What was that Good. opening? What is happening with the lore so far? Because it is freaking weird. I didn't expect this level of. Time travel, yeah, the isekai fish out of water thing for your character because they're going back into the past, into this magical world where your phone has been devolved back into an old style phone or some nonsense like that. Devolved into an earlier model phone. (laughs) For the 1800s, yeah, it makes total sense. And you can also kind of go in, depending on how you want to roleplay the thing, as like a normal person who knows what Pokemon is in pop culture. Or you can Ooh. pretend that you don't, I guess, which is also kind of a weird approach. So are you, you know, I think mm. it was genius because I was like, how's this going to fit in with the core series? They're introducing new Pokemon to do a new. Oh, it was a fever dream. Cool. We have an easy out now. So I yeah. appreciated that. Yep. Yep. It- exactly, though, because when the opening scene happened and it's like just like zero context, just like you exist, you're floating space, time travel, <laughs> parallel dimensions. That's like. All that happens in like 10 seconds. Yeah. And and it does feel very much like on this special episode, we have a dream. (laughs) Where God is speaking to you and sending you back to have a brand new adventure. But this is the big takeaway for me is it is so wild to have a Pokemon game that feels like 
an adventure. <laughs> like it feels like I'm going out and exploring and finding new things. And I'm so excited around every turn, every heal for what I can find. And it's like, I mean, I think this is the most I've enjoyed a Pokemon game since. And again, I'm like, you know, seven hours in. So grain of salt for all this stuff. Most I've enjoyed a Pokemon game since silver and gold realistically and like it has a lot of the same emotions and thrills as pokemon go that's kind of like a weird side angle it's like well no doubt pokemon go was very exciting for slightly different reasons but am i nuts like nicole's where's your where's your hype at for this thing right now i mean so going in i had very little hype like i for some reason just felt like this was it didn't look the way i wanted it to look and so which still doesn't but whatever um and so i just didn't get as excited as i thought that i would have should have and then so and then when i started playing I I got pretty obsessed. I got pretty into it, and it's it it kind of has this Skyrim feel to me. Mm. Um, that which is like this kind of like which is very nice for me to say that it has a Skyrim feel because it's definitely very toned back. Um, but I just I love that. I love the RPG elements. I love like um, it did take me a long time to get used to playing in the in the bumpers because I'm just so used to playing my Switch with just the D-pad and the buttons. Right. And so going from a game where I'm suddenly using the triggers like a, sh- like an ar- like a shooter, um, that was actually an adjustment for me. Um, but it, it does open up the world a lot. Yeah, just being able to like, okay, I can cycle through all of my Pokemon out in the field and I can throw a Pokeball and my Pokemon will pop out on the field. Not only that, you can throw all of your Pokeballs and have your Pokemon all interact with each other out in the field. And like, you know, somebody submitted a comment for the Deepest Knives just talking about like, how crazy is it? that we get to actually see the size of our Pokemon team relative to each other. It's like, yeah, mm-hmm. this is where we're at with the Pokemon series. It's just, just, this feels like an epiphany. It's like so many things with this game. just like, thank you, finally. Even just smaller, more systems-focused things. Like, finally getting rid of that, are you sure you want to forget this move to replace it with the other move? Are you doubly sure that you don't want to do this? Getting rid of that entire system and just having, yeah, just a bunch of, here's basically spells is how somebody described on the deepest dive. You can hot swap Hanson, these I've been moves. hearing you complain about that mechanic like, yes. since the day I met it you. Sucked. I feel like. It sucked. It sucked in 1996 and it sucked in Pokemon Sword and Shield and now it's like, yeah, no, it just basically moves, equip what you want and you don't have to worry about blocking stuff out anymore it's just like epiphany after epiphany of like thank god they're finally getting to this but odell it's also in the past you know so sorry to interrupt you but like you know they're finally getting to this but this game takes place in the past so it's like in the next progression of games do we suddenly have these develop these you know um developments because they weren't existing in this timeline before Um, (laughs) well i'm curious yeah there's so many things like that i mean i think they've really set themselves up in a nice spot where it's kind of pitched as kind of a mainline game kind of a spin-off game it's pokemon legends so we don't really know what that means and if people hate it they can say all right course correct the next one's gonna be basically a sequel to sword and shield or they could take all of the nice lessons from this if it's positively received and from what i've seen it's positively received so far like odell it feels like you're much more clued in and I remember you were a very conservative fellow when it came to your Pokemon design about this is true Pokemon needs to be hardcore and old so I'm curious what you think about this thing so far yeah so I don't consider this a mainline a mainline game though it's doing mainline stuff like introducing new Pokemon so that's we're in that weird theme because the last time a mainline game introduced a new Pokemon, it was Pokemon Go. And we got Meltan, a Pokemon that still has no generation and doesn't look like a Pokemon, feel like a Pokemon, and feels <laughs> like the worst ploy ever. Yeah. But but I digress. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I digress. And so when I went into this, I was like, I'm going to play this. And based off what I feel, it's not a mainline game. But if it was, I wouldn't complain. That's where I'm at with it. Okay, meaning you're warm to it, but it's not exactly your cup of tea? 
No, it's definitely my cup of tea. It's because, uh, like, the core series, you know, the colored series, and then, you know, when I wear X, Y, and Sword and Shield, there's a certain formula, there's a certain, you know, rhyme and reason to it for it to be a mainline game, and this game doesn't have it, but it's still very good. I, I saw someone once said, if this continued to be a, a side series like the Legend series, like Pokemon Legends, yeah. insert Legendary here, I, I would be, you know, over the moon. And I would like to see mechanics from this go into the mainline game, but I wouldn't want this to be the mainline game going forward, if that makes sense. Oh, I am all out of this being the mainline game going forward. Really? You don't want really? it to be pulled forward anyway, Nicole? I, like, I want it to be pulled forward, but I agree about it. It didn't feel, and I think it has to do with the closeness to the Pokemon that you don't have in this game. Um, because I love to connect to my Pokemon, like, you know, like Pokemon. So <laughs> when, when I can't, when I, the game behooves you to cycle out through Pokemon, not have a favorite. Mm. It, you're constantly wanting to evolve and capture to create this Pokedex. So I didn't have a bond with, and I still don't have a bond with any of my Pokemon the way I did in every other game. That's weird. That I feel sense. like I'm more connected to my Pokemon just like seeing them out in the field like that. And yeah, you don't have the ability to like cycle through them because you don't, you can't keep the same one because you're not going to evolve it. And yeah, oh, I, I agree. So with that said, to elaborate on that, I have my starter. I bonded with my starter. I'm not going to cycle through him. But everyone knows how the game mechanics work. You're not meant to keep a team and grow. So when I beat the game or get to post game material, I'm going to go and get the Pokemon I want. And then just run with them the whole time. But right. as you progress during the game, you can't really play the game correctly, quote unquote, having like, all right, like I have an Espeon and normally I'd be like, this is my Espeon, it's my psychic Pokemon. But it's like, I can't really keep keep you with me the whole time because then I'm going to lock myself out of spots I need to do other things in the game. Exactly, exactly. And that made it feel more, um, less, um, less narrative driven the way the other games do for me and more um, like... RPG task driven, which yeah. isn't bad because I love them both, but it did feel different. So when you're saying that you're compelled to like swap them out, is have I just not experienced that yet? Is it just because like yeah. there's yeah, you're too early and you're gonna yeah. like, oh like, no, you, you know, you get to the point where it's like, oh, I need to catch thirty Roselia. Yeah, I, I I just gotta do this, or I need to keep certain Pokemon with me because you know you need to evolve and do things with them to fill out the Pokedex pages. Cause you know, when you catch a Pokemon, it's not like, Oh, it's filled. Oh. You have to do certain, t you have to get up to 10 research points for a Pokemon to be filled out fully. Yeah. So the only one I can think of so far that I've seen is stuff like, Oh, you gotta see a Pokemon use this move. So it's like, okay, then the easiest way to do that would be put it in my party and have it use that move. But like, if you don't want to do that, there's still options of like, Oh, okay. I can just catch so many of these Pokemon or maybe get one and evolve one, but there's always flexibility in the Pokedex for doing it different ways. Right. But I'm curious like to see. Pokemon, yeah, yeah. But like Bidoof or something, you know, yeah. one of the ways to fill out that Pokedex was to evolve one. And right. so keeping lower Pokemon in your party, constantly evolving them is, is, is really increasing your points and increasing your Pokedex. I see. I see. And so it's punishing you if you really want to be a quote unquote min maxer, or is this just like the core game? You have to focus that much on fulfilling all those Pokedex missions. Well, I'll say one of its benefits is, you know, a la breath of the wild, everything's breath of the wild, you know, got that out the way <laughs> you can play it how you want. Ultimately, like if yeah. you're just going to be like, bro, I'm going to have six Bidoos. And I ain't really going to do nothing but have six Bidoofs, and that's my Sarah life. Sarah approach. That's right. That's <laughs> yeah. Right. And, and you're like, yeah, you know, I'm going to quest absolutely when I need to. So, I mean, you do have freedom because one of the things I thought I was going to get tired of was like, 
I really don't want to catch the same Pokemon over and over again. That seems redundant and yeah. dumb. Like it you feels like Pokemon Go. Life. Yeah. But but then I realized like how you can go about it in different ways and you don't need to fill out the whole page because filling out a single page takes like hours. And I was like, oh, okay, I can do the things that I don't mind doing, get the Pokedex entry, keep going. And I was able to find a play style where I was comfortable with, where it's like, I'm doing tedious things, but it's not becoming tedious. Okay. Yeah, it seems like people are a little bit divided about how tedious it is. Like, I'm delighted so far. You know, somebody even compared it to, like, Nobody Saves the World for just having a bunch of little quests that help level up everything. And just the fact that, like, you can uh, get a Pokemon to pluck berries from a tree or just throw Pokemon to harvest gems in the field. And, and that, that gets you XP. It's amazing. Nice. It's so amazing. It's so rewarding so far. Um, but just, like, on the um, convenience things, quality of life things, Choosing when a Pokemon evolves instead of having to say, nope, don't evolve right now, don't evolve right now, amazing. Giving you the option to rename Pokemon in the inventory window instead of right when you catch it. Just like stripping out all of these stupid little annoying things that have been with us for the entire series history. It's a godsend. It's amazing. Like, I, I really, I'm proud of Game Freak for swinging this hard and being so different and really going for it. What did you think about the menus? Because I, mm. I felt like the menu system still overwhelms me, especially yeah. the main page with items and the Pokemon. Um, and then I'm always pushing the wrong bumpers to scroll <laughs> around. Um, I'm still, yeah, does that bother anyone else? Yeah, I'm still getting used to it. There's still points where it's like, okay, I know I want to check this menu. Where is that? Is that up on the D-pad or is that the minus button? Like, where was that at exactly? Is that the menu? Okay, then side quests are going to go to the map, then order the So it's still like those little quirks. But I think it's part of the charm of this game too, is that like we're learning new things. We have to wrap our minds around Pokemon in a new way. And I think that's kind of exciting. I'm excited to have this big of a learning curve in a Pokemon game because it just, you know, you know, is a nice signal that they're changing things up in a big way. And we're learning together. You know, which is because people come in through Pokemon at so many different generations. Like, I think all of us probably played since the beginning. Yeah. But, you know, people younger than us probably came in at different places. And it's cool because we're all on the same page with this game. And that's kind of the narrative is that you you, you land in this land where nobody knows. Nobody knows what you know. They have an established world of their own, which I don't know if we're going to get into. But I did find the the narrative to be um, not confusing. It's just like. The colonialism, you know? It's it's a bit odd. Okay, I'm curious to see where it goes from here on out and like how seriously I need to take this story because I'm always fascinated by what Game Freak goes for in the stories and it is so weird out of the gate that I'm hoping they stick the landing, but uh, we'll see. I don't know. How- it's interesting to me because of the like the two different clans of the Diamond and Pearl right. and they just it kind of seems like there's this like happy indigenous people and then these other people came and now it's like I just go through I get on my fish and I just go sit in the water and throw pokeballs at Magikarp's faces over and over and over yeah it's like am I disrupting this beautiful ecosystem but it's it's worth it though because even if people are confused about you being an outsider then they say my god I've never seen somebody throw something so beautifully as you the way you use a pokeball no one's ever considered actually putting pokemon in these pokeballs before the way that you do it's just unbelievable the pokeball sound it's so satisfying and then like little fireworks oh it's i wonder if they did research to like get a sound that like humans would be like yes because it works for me (laughs) it absolutely works for me yeah i've been so delighted over some of these catches even just like small moments of okay i'm gonna climb up on a ridge and then look down and throw my pokeball down at, at the pokemon down there again this is like simple basic stuff but in a pokemon game just having this level of control and freedom is just 
Oh, it's so refreshing. I caught a Gyarados first Pokeball. I threw at it. I got it. It was <laughs> flying around. I was like, oh my God, this is the best moment I've had in Pokemon in a year. I mean, I, a thousand I was going to say, Hanson, Nintendo uh, Game Freak, whoever, should really buy that clip of you catching that Gyarados. And that should just be in their television. <laughs> Do you think so? It's just you flipping out over that Gyarados. It's such a great clip. Thank you. Sarah Bazersi says it wasn't special, but I, I think it was special, <laughs> Kyle. I, I felt you special. You know, uh, interestingly enough, what I feel like. So, you know, if I was to rate this game baseline just as a game, I'd give it like a 7.5. Oh. Like, you know, so, but what makes this game special, I feel like, is if you have a connection to Pokemon, this game just slowly, creepily gets better each time. What I mean by that is, one, I love a good town builder system. And so ooh. the fact that you build up the town with Pokemon, it's just like, ooh, euphoria. It's like... <laughs> But also beyond that, it's a, you're in a world where Pokemon and people haven't yet been established, like the relationship, you know, that right. common bond. And so it's real special to see people literally not get their first Pokemon, but interact with a Pokemon for the first time in any real way. Like see people go from scared to curious to like, this is my way of life. And to see the world change around you. And it's weird because like you're from the future. So, you know, like the like people in Pokemon couldn't li- couldn't could not live without each other. But to see you to be that forming line of creating, you're essentially creating the modern world of Pokemon. Right, right. That people and Pokemon work together. And it's just beautiful. And like you said, when you let out your Pokemon, people keep posting on Twitter that different Pokemon interact in different ways. Ooh, interesting. Like, for example, if you throw out a Mr. Mime in front of your other Pokemon, he'll entertain your other Pokemon and they'll clap and cheer. And some Pokemon will fight each other. Well, not like, you know, fight, fight, but like not get along. And it's like... I can so when I get my team, I'm just like I can throw them all out together and see how this combination of Pokemon would naturally interact with one another. Who would not like each other? Who would play? Who would just be like, Nah, I'm not with that. And you know, this is the first time. As much as I consider it not a mainline game, it's crazy to see in the real world, quote unquote, Pokemon being Pokemon and interacting with people and growing together. It's like it's it's as close as to living the real dream as yes. we've gotten. Yes, and that blew me away. Yep. I am totally right there with you. Um, yeah, I agree, Kyle. You know, visually, not exactly a stunner. It's maybe this is like so you're being very polite. <laughs> I, I I don't think it's hideous. I was expecting worse. The no, way that I, people were talking honestly, about the, it. The important things are there. The characters look good and the Pokemon look good. Yeah, and that's the, the grass could look better. It's just like the a grass, texture. Yeah. It's like yeah. Auto-filled. Right. It's a little it's a little barren in some areas. Like somebody in the Deepest Dive had the best take for this game ever where they said, this feels like it's the perfect Switch remaster of a very good GameCube game. So, yeah, oh, that's okay. kind of... Beautifully said. I think that's the right way of looking at it. It's like, I wish that this sense of design was available back there in 2004 or something like that. Like it, it would have been mind-blowing and it was conceivable to have this level of freedom back then, but... Uh, I'm loving it. Uh, we're going to be talking way more about it uh, in the second installment of The Deepest Dive. That's on our YouTube channel. Um, and again, uh, that is available in the podcast feed for folks at the $5 tier on Patreon. But uh, that is with Jenna Garcia, Sarah Pazorski, and Kelsey Lewin from the Video Game History Foundation. Um, any other thoughts about Pokemon Legends we haven't got to yet? Uh, my biggest uh, complaint about this game so far is it should have came out five, six years ago. Sure. Yep. Yeah, totally. And and I think that the reason we are kind of up not thrilled about the graphics is because it's 2022. Right. Not 2022D. Come on. <laughs> um, so, but yeah, I, I, I agree with that. And a, a ton of it feels like, fine, here's your game. You've been asking for it for so long. Yeah. Um, and so I really do, I wonder what they're going to do with this series because it, it's 
you know, are, is, could this become a game of service where it's like an open world game oh, and they boy. just add lands? You I know, mean, like, I think there's potential there that I don't know if Nintendo will explore, but I'm excited. That makes complete sense, so I think they'll get to it 15 years from now. We'll have Can't the wait. full live I'm service I'm going to be version. 60 and just thrilled. <laughs> uh, hey, Odell, do you know how this whole thing operates? Do you know uh, how this whole thing's able to run? How's it able to run? It's able to run because of Weird Deer. No, it's able to run because of patreon.com slash minmax with two N's. If you enjoy the show, you can support the show over there on Patreon. We had somebody named Bymanus who supported us recently. Uh, they wanted to support us to support Trivia Tower because they enjoy that show. Um, we also had somebody named Raymond support us on Patreon recently who's a mailman in Minneapolis and he wanted more podcasts for walking around so he unlocked the exclusive podcast feed. Uh, oh. Thank you to some of our big supporters like Fantasy Flight Games. They want everybody to know about the new release of Star Wars Jabba's Palace, a love letter game. Have any of you ever played Love Letter, the tabletop game? Yes. A little bit, yeah. Ooh, awesome. Uh, I have heard great things about it going back for years and years, and I can't wait to check this out. This is a new Star Wars variation of a love letter game, but Love Letter is for two to six players. It's a fantastic introduction to tabletop gaming uh, and is a longstanding title from Z-Man Games. And it is one... It is one for Golden Geek Awards for Most Innovative Board Game, Best Party Board Game, Best Family Board Game, and Best Card Game. Do you all like Love Letter? Have you played it before in a big way? I'm buying this game. I just wrote it down. Okay. okay. Sounds fantastic. Awesome. I can't wait to get a copy and dive in myself. I've heard so many good things for so long. And obviously, Jabba's Palace is cool. Also, thank you to Diverge Coffee. They say, hey, everybody. Brian and Nick here from Diverge Coffee. Wanted to thank you again for all of your support. We hope all of you wonderful min have enjoyed the coffee you've gotten from us. If you haven't yet, please check out DivergeCoffee.com and use the code MINMAX for 15% off of any order. Again, that's Diverge Coffee. Coffee.com discount code MINMAX with two N's. And thank you to Fixture Gaming. They want everybody to know about the Fixture S1, which is a clip that you put on your Nintendo Switch Pro controller so that you can use the Nintendo Switch on the go with the best controller. So you have your Nintendo Switch Pro controller. Then you slide the screen onto that. And then you can play with it on the go, and it's fantastic. Uh, and they are proud to announce that they are working on the Fixture S2, which is for the OLED model of the Switch. They don't have a release date yet, but just so you know, the Fixture S2 is in the works for Fixture Gaming. And thank you, as always, to I Am 8-Bit. They want everybody to know about the Persona 25, and oh boy, Persona 25th Anniversary Deluxe Vinyl Box Set. It is a limited edition 15-disc box set celebrating the entire musical history of the entire Persona series. It features over eight and a half hours of newly remastered music from the full series. So you can check that out. Also, all the vinyls are available separately in iMapit's wonderful online store. And if you go to that store and get anything under $100, you can use the promo code TIGERSTYLE. Tiger style for 10% off everything in i8bit's wonderful online store. And because they are so generous, they ship out a prize to our community each and every week. So this week, whoever has the best community question submitted over there on Patreon, they will receive the vinyl soundtrack to Journey, which looks beautiful oh. and obviously sounds beautiful. So thank you to i8bit for shipping that out. And if you want to win one of the, if you want to win one of these prizes, you can always support us over there on Patreon. Uh, all right. So we all need to pay really close attention to all these community questions because it's a big prize. Kyle, are you ready? Okay. Do you have a notebook ready? Uh, yes. Okay, great. Well, hey, uh, <laughs> Rob Goddard jumps over there on Patreon. He says, hello, MinMax crew. I just signed up for the Patreon. I got into the Discord, so thought I'd ask a question and see if I can get it read right on the show. 
That's how it works, Rob. Thank you mm-hmm. for spelling it out. Um, one of my favorite all-time questions to ask podcasts is what classic slash retro game from the NES slash Super Nintendo or Master System or Genesis generation would you want to see remade? No budget limit, and you're in complete creative control. One of my favorite and semi-obscure titles is Solomon's Key. It's a puzzle platformer I would love to see redone and remade for a current generation. All right, what's jumping out for folks? Where should we go? Okay, so I want, I used to love this SNES version of Power Rangers, and I would <laughs> love there to be a remake of Power Rangers, but mm. in that side scrolly style, but, but an RPG, right? To pick the Power Ranger I am. Yes. I just find out what kind of animal Zord is like my Zord. Um, right. And yeah, I want that. Honestly, that feels like one of those things that is going to be announced within the next three years is like a good Power Rangers RPG. I feel like there is a market for it. Like the Power Rangers fighting game was better than everybody expected. I feel like just the trend is pushing towards people being like, yeah, give the people what they want, a Power Rangers RPG. And it's kind of like Pokemon where every generation has a Power Ranger. Right. Like series. Huh. Because they just keep making them, you know, Kimberly forever, obviously. But, you know, nice. they have new ones. Yeah, what'd you think of that movie? The newer one? Yeah. It's fine. <laughs> I've been news forever. I've been news all day, every day. Yeah, the um, I, that that new movie was more interesting than I expected it to be. Not yeah. to go on a weird aside, but <laughs> there is a scene where they get hit. It wasn't terrible, and that's a win for everybody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's fair. Love that. I remember there's a scene where they get hit by a train in a car, and I remember thinking like, this is shot so well. It's like really crazy. I need to go back and watch it again. I remember watching it on a plane and be like, this is way better directed than I really thought the Power Rangers movie was gonna be. Um, let's see. For me, I was thinking like, okay, I kind of want to go like story-based game from back then. You know, I was thinking like Sunset Riders, but it's like, ah, eh, it's not really the most narrative-heavy. I don't know. But um, a game that I've always wanted to play, and I certainly would play if it was remade, a la like a Final Fantasy VII remake situation, is Fantasy Star Four. And oh. I know Bob Beale is probably screaming about it in the community, but that's what I would like: is just a full remake crazy absurd budget for this game that everybody claims is so brilliant and i always like the art of it but i've just never gone back to check it out old genesis thing it, it would be it would it would be nice to see a seven remake approach to like final fantasy six as well yeah you know or like a breath of the wild visuals applied to link's awakening would be cool like not not or not like sorry i'm sorry link to the past huh. like the link's awakening remake was really cool and i liked it but i think it would be fun to have like a 3d version of link to the past i think that would just be interesting to see yeah. And yeah. why not just build it in the engine of A Link Between Worlds? But that's what, but I'm I don't want it to be 2D though. I want it to be 3D. I want like I want mm, to, yeah. I want like to see full. that 2D world visualized in 3D. I want to, I I don't even know what it would look like, which is what's kind of fascinating about it. They have to redo all of the puzzles and stuff, but just have homages. <laughs> yeah. That'd yeah. be an interesting challenge for him, yeah. <laughs> Uh, I, want to, I want to see the heart piece where you have to run across the entire map. How, how that would translate to three. <laughs> That'd be amazing. <laughs> oh, uh, what sends that for you, Adele? All right, I'm gonna be super basic and say no shame here. Super Mario World Two, Yoshi's Island, greatest game of all time. But are we, are we talking two D remake? Uh, you know, you know. Okay, so here's the thing. No Yoshi game has been better than that. Yeah. Like. I, Shouts will Yoshi be world. story. <laughs> Get out, Nicole. How do I kick you from this you. Discord Thank call? You. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, Woolly World was cool, but like they made them where you can't die and stuff, and crap right, it was right. even easier than Woolly World. But I'm like, Yoshi's Island, the OG, and Yoshi's Island DS don't talk to me that I don't know what that was. <laughs> like, they keep, that game was a bummer. Yeah. Yeah. They keep screwing it up, so I'm like, all right, let's 
let's do i don't know maybe do a 2.5d i don't know ah, I, I'm, okay. I'm a i'm a sucker for like i want it to feel like it is so you know think you know crash and spiral remakes but mm. uh do that with yoshi's island and there we go bangers I mean, switch the, the problem copies. the problem with yoshi's island it is it, it 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 may be this is a bigger discussion yeah the game that uh ages the best ever period like i don't think that game will ever look bad <laughs> you know yeah I think so. Like, I oh, don't, my claps are coming through. So, like, I, I, anything they do to try to remake it visually, I, I, it would be really tough to outdo that first game because it's like it's. I think it's just going to be one of the best looking games forever. Period. Yeah, you they know? can't really make it three D. Like, how do you do three D crayon looks? Yeah, like, it's I, really. Thank Kyle, come out. Maybe just up. I don't know how you would do it. If we have a limited yeah. budget, we'll we'll figure it out. But like, <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. bosses, uber creative, challenge, great. Just mm-hmm. final moments. Oh, love that game. It's it's a minute. Yoshi is one of my favorite characters of all time to this day. Yeah, and honestly, in terms of it aging well, like you know, I didn't grow up playing the Mario games, and so it wasn't until like college that I played so many of them and tried to get through them. And Yoshi's Island was the only one that clicked immediately. For like, no, this is genuinely awesome. This is awesome. Nostalgia aside, it just holds up so well. I love that game. It's my favorite. 2D Mario game. Uh, Taylor Owens writes in, uh, do you all want to put your smart hats on and get really serious about game industry stuff? Okay, here we go. <laughs> uh, Taylor Owens writes in and says, does all this consolidation just put more nails in E3's coffin? Why go to E3 when you can own enough studios to host your own event? That's Solid the question. What was the qu- can you repeat it? I was too busy putting something on <laughs> You jackass. Uh, does I that, did both. Does the consolidation just put more nails in E3's coffin? Yeah. Because if you own all these studios, like, why do you need... They could have an Xbox event once a year now that is going to feel like E3 with all the freaking studios they have. We already had several developers leading E3 and setting up at LA Live next door um, or opting to do their own things or, you know, Nintendo loves to just release videos, whatever. So, yeah, I think that it's been on its way out for several years. And the pandemic definitely, I think, really sealed that. But now with so little independence in the gaming industry it makes so much more sense for them publishers to have their own QuakeCon style thing which is now microsoft um but to have their dedicated things then they completely control the message they control everything so i I think that would make more sense for them if you were a gambling woman and i hope you're Mm -hmm. article would you put a hundred bucks down that well i guess this is not fair because you could choose but the point is do you think you'll ever go to an e3 again will you step into that hall ever again I kind of hope not. You hope not? Ah. Oh, yeah. I'm the opposite. I hope so. So, uh, E3, by the, the last few years of E3, it was open to the press, or open to the public. Yeah. So I couldn't get, like, preview appointments. I, could, I couldn't get, I couldn't do any of the fun things that, like, E3 was exciting for me. Yeah. Um, and, and I love covering the press conferences, and I love that. But the show floor itself was, the past few years of it just wasn't enjoyable for me. That's interesting. I, I, I was always in the camp of, like, it's still good. It's still good. It was kind of my take overall for E3. Everybody talking, oh, it's bad. Now it's bad. Now it's like, yeah, maybe it's a little bit less fun, but it's like being at an amusement park and three of the rides are closed. It's like, it's still yeah. pretty damn good. It's an amusement park, also, everybody. Sorry, but I think I'm also spoiled that I'm in Los Angeles. Yeah. So I, you know, there's a big gaming community that I'm already a part of and feel a part of. And E3 was never a trip. It was never like a fun, like, let's go, let's go get, ho- let's go hang out with the, the fig. Right. You know, that was never that for me. It was like, let's drive from Santa Clarita three, two and a half hours, you know, like, um, yeah. I mean, but the yeah. after parties, though. 
Yeah, yeah, but I'm not very popular. I was so infrequently <laughs> invited to things. Yeah, I'm trying to remember. I, I remember in E3 a long time ago, we were both desperately trying to go to Notch's party. Because he, we, there were like <laughs> whispers that Notch was hosting this big party right after Microsoft bought uh, Minecraft, and before we all knew that Notch uh, was kind of a pile of it. Um, and it was like, yeah. okay, how do we get to this Notch party? We got to know somebody. I want to go see that candy room <laughs> in his house. Always wanted to see that candy room. Oh, it would have been so cool. Yeah. No, we'll never get the you chance. You know, it's it's weird for me in a sense that um, I love E3. I don't want it to go away, and it's such a big. Like, it's such a big part of the industry and, like, going, you know, it's like the ticket to Disneyland. And I don't want future generations to miss out on that. Yeah. I, I really hope, you know, I, I think it's important, you know, regardless of how good or bad it's gotten is irrelevant. I feel like there's something that E3 represents in the culture and that the culture needs that thing. But I remember, I think it was, yeah, it was 2019 when uh, Microsoft, they bought the Nokia and it became the Microsoft. Theater. Not They didn't buy it that year, but that's the year they took uh, Xbox out. It was 18 or 19. But I, I think it was 18. Was I think it was 18. It was 18. Yeah, because 19 okay. was the last one. It's weird to think yeah, about. Yeah, okay. So 18. And I remember, so I remember, you know, I had to go there to see Gears and whatnot in the Microsoft Theater. And I remember walking on the show floor and not seeing the dueling PlayStation Xbox wall. And the floor seeming just so much smaller because it was filled yeah. with like random booths to buy stuff. And I was just like... Oh no, this ain't good. <laughs> this is bad. Like not 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 the, this is bad. Like I'm not like oh this is like like Microsoft pulling out and just being like here's the PlayStation section and a whole bunch of empty space that's kind of like yeah. tables and you get a hot dog. I was like it was oh sad. no, we can't. <laughs> this something's got to give. And then you know when they announced the digital the it wasn't happening this year and we don't know if there's a digital event. I was just like you know if E3 needs to go away and then. The, the industry changes and it's brought back in some holy like fire rising like the phoenix i'll be cool with that yeah yeah did you guys ever do um e for all when that was a thing like no decades ago no i went to that um and it was basically an e3 that was just for the public um and but it, for some reason it wasn't that big even though i think it was at the la convention center huh. but i think that could be a, that could be like a hybrid idea or or maybe pax comes to la and there's a pax la um Ooh, that's interesting i feel like the pax con- conventions and even more less so but comic-con as well to me those feel more like the conventions that i want to keep going to yeah yeah down for PAX LA. PAX South officially died this year. RIP. Right. Sorry to hear so, that, Bill. Yeah. But, um, yeah. We'll, know, we'll see what Jeff Keighley decides for all of yes, us. Yes. He'll, he'll decide in his hands. Yeah. Regardless, there's going to be big gaming announcements in June. And if that, you know, if the future is just doing live stream reactions from our basements in Minnesota, you know, that, that could be worse. We'll take it. Uh, let's see. Peacock wants to know, hey, with all the big acquisitions lately, I'm curious if there are any studios you'd like to see split from their parent companies. Like Bungie left Activision. I guess Microsoft more specifically for their... Bioware. Oh, that is so good. It's the answer. It is the answer, yes. Okay, what what would they do? What would they do? They'd split out and make what for you? They would, um, we would hire two new doctors... <laughs> Any doctors, Doctor professionals really works for them. <laughs> uh-huh. um, and we would return to RPG roots, and it wouldn't be, you know, games as services. I get it. I get that's the future, and maybe there's exploration there. But it's we need to return to our RPG roots, and we need to um, make Dragon Age Four faster. <laughs> so they still need the EAIP, but just a bit. yeah, okay, that's interesting. Yeah. I, I think they could use like a good dose of what Obsidian went through years ago with the crowdfunding and just making a smaller CRPG like Pillars of Eternity. Just like let that team get the pressure off them 
just let them make some small little indie RPG. Make like a Paper Mario equivalent. Make a sequel to Sonic Chronicles. Just something small and just Sonic get systems Chronicles. focused again. Is it too much to ask? Um, I was thinking, we talked about it, I think it was on maybe last week's episode of the podcast, but uh, NetherRealm. I'm thinking about the studios that are just, that feel just dug into the dirt for Mortal how Kombat, yeah Realm? yeah yeah just for how many of these games they've had to create with the publisher beating the drum and showing them sales data like I I'm so excited yeah. for NetherRealm to make something other than Mortal Kombat I'm excited for them to make something other than a fighting game I just feel like there's a lot of talent in that studio and those stories and those games are always so fun I would just love to see what they would do if they had complete independence and hopefully a lot of money somehow I don't know. The the one that came to my mind actually, which is actually I don't think true anymore in 2022, but it was more in that Xbox 360 era. I felt like Rare was so underutilized. Yeah, like I just felt like there I wasn't getting anything. So agree from Rare, but like, but if I'm being honest, like today, I I don't I don't know that I would really want them to split off. I don't think there's anything that Rare could give me that they're not really doing. You know. <laughs> yeah, well, I was never even Pinata fan. The thing was, is I was like Come an on, N64 Kyle. rare person. Like once they like got into 360, yeah, like I wasn't really interested classic. in what they were making. You know, like Sea of Thieves is cool, and like I'm interested in Everwild, and I think that's like Everwild is the most optimistic I've been about rare. I don't think if they like left, they would suddenly like make the new Golden Eye or anything like that. Like that yeah. time's passed. Everwild Perfect Dark too, right? Um. Yes, it's coming, but not from Rare. Yeah, but now it's the weird thing where yeah, the initiative is making it. But um, and I guess Crystal Dynamics. Um, but yeah, it's, it's you can't look at Everwild and think like, well, it's just a cash grab. It's like it feels like the complete opposite. No. At least based on that one trailer, and I know it got rebooted and stuff. So maybe it will be just be a hollow cash grab by the time it releases. But yeah, I thought about that too. But it seems like they're on good footing. Yeah, I was going to say Rare, but Kyle Ooh. took that. But similar to you, like, you know, I'm an old man and I'm stuck in the glory days. And I'm like, how about if they just wasn't bogged down by any contractual obligations and could just do whatever? We'd probably get something amazing. I, we probably wouldn't see Banjo 3, but we would probably see something great. Yeah, yeah I, well, it's funny because it's like that thing of like, it's like, oh, Rare, man, they made Donkey Kong Country. And it's like, well, we've actually had really two great Donkey Kong Countries from different developers at this point, you know? And it's like, man, they made GoldenEye. GoldenEye is amazing. It's like, well... We have plenty of really good first-person shooters from other developers <laughs> at this point. Yeah. But yeah. Viva Pinata, you're right. How but many games do I we keep, have? I'm like sorry, that? I keep overlooking Viva Pinata. So sorry. <laughs> so, wait, I don't want them. So I have a unique answer. Yes. I want Square Enix to defuse and become Disney Interactive and SquareSoft again. Oh, Disney Interactive? What? It was Enix that fused with Square Enix. Wait, yeah. Where? Who? Who swept up Disney Interactive? I think that was just Disney probably- has always owned it. Disney Interactive. Oh, well, I need Square to defuse. And I want them to be two different companies again. <laughs> okay, yeah, so just like, to have Dragon Age, uh, Dragon Quest, and Final Fantasy just be competing again. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> That's interesting. Yeah, and and also because they they keep messing up Kingdom Hearts, so we need we need we need like Wait, separation so, of church and state. Kingdom Hearts three was them messing up Kingdom Hearts for you. Have Have you not played that game? <laughs> no, I refuse. It's constantly talked about on the podcast. <laughs> I mean, it People looked pretty, it. but from a story standpoint, it was like, hey, remember all that great stuff that happened in Kingdom Hearts 2? Well, we're going to retcon all of it. Oh, really? A to Z. I have no idea. Ooh, uh, I don't have to tell you, Odell, about Kingdom Hearts' story. There's no, it's gone, man. <laughs> it's, de- it's dead. Ooh, <laughs> it's ooh, dead Clayton. <laughs> ooh, ooh. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love Kingdom Hearts 1. The, uh, 
thinking about rare still. Like I, I somebody said this on a podcast, or maybe it was a, a lousy tweet, but it is a fun idea to imagine now with the Activision purchase, like a studio like uh, Toys for Bob, like the Skylanders team and the one that made Crash 4, like them taking on a Banjo-Kazooie 3. Like I feel like there's a lot of talent over there that would be a really good fusion instead of having like Rare do something like that. Like a Jinjo origin story, you know? Like yeah. what are the Jinjos? Yes. And, and it's time they rescue us. Man, exactly. this is gonna sound real weird because people are all like there's no such thing as a console war i disagree but they're not here for that <laughs> but that there's certain things you can't do like i can't play banjo kazooie 3 on an xbox i can't play metal gear on an xbox i you what you just don't do those things i'm, I'm sorry oh come you on you gotta That's get old school, up. school odell no no hey, if, if, you, if you're like i'm playing metal gear for the first time and i'm playing it like on xbox i'm just like i don't i don't I guess. I no, mean, no, no, no. You got to say, I mean, say good I mean, I mean, have so, fun. Enjoy it. <laughs> some people can't use chopsticks and they got to use the fork. I get it. I get it. I mean, Metal Gear Solid 2 was on the Xbox. It's not like it's a new thing. They could have played Substance on the Xbox and skateboarded around and had a good time. Anyway, say Stephen Woodson has a question that's probably too smart for us, but I'm curious to hear everybody's take. Um, oh, as, far, as far as I can tell, <laughs> hang on, intelligent hats. As far as I can tell, neither Sony, Microsoft, or even the all-consuming Embracer group has ever acquired a Japanese video game studio. Why do you think that is? Well, Man, I feel like culturally they just do business different. I, I don't know. The only thing I can I mean, figure... Oh, go ahead, go. I, I was just... Uh, language barrier. I mean, that's like, you know, that's huge. Yeah. Language barrier. And I know some women who have worked in the gaming industry in Japan, yeah. and there were just some challenges of kind of upward mobility for women. Hmm. Um, and so I imagine that's also a struggle for women who are... W- women in development places who want to, like, I don't know, grow? I don't yeah. know. Yeah, just a kind of a more of an antiquated corporate structure in a lot of ways um yeah possibly maybe it's a factor of and you know don't overlook the fact that sony is a japanese company here um but uh and we all know that embracer group is a vaguely european company where where are they out of (laughs) germany so I think they're Swedish. From the great land of vaguely European. <laughs> I thought you said that vaguely European. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Um, but no, it, there might be something too for like, well, the Japanese studios, it's like Capcom. Okay, we got Square Enix. Um, and maybe it's just they want Sweden, to expand. By the way. Sweden. There we go. And they want to expand across the entire world. And it's like, well, the Japanese games, the Japanese market really likes those Japanese games, but still some of them have a tough time reaching that broader audience. And obviously there's breakthroughs. Monster Hunter World broke through recently and Final Fantasy obviously has broken through and stuff like that. But maybe that's part of the incentive as well. It's like, well, we could buy that if we really want to double down on the Japanese market, which at this point is largely phones anyway. So why would we want to do that? I don't know. So do we think that the Japanese, the majority of Japanese developers are making games that are sort of specific for a Japanese audience? Who knows? I think they've tried to, to branch out and then it feels like over the last 10 years they've kind of doubled down again on like you know what let's just lean into the japanese of all this and it's been successful stuff like near automata you know it's not like they're trying to go for a global appeal necessarily with that game and it, it's totally. awesome i mean doesn't like resident evil feels like such an american game to me though right right but, like like because it's like they usually take place in america not always obviously but yeah, I don't yeah know, that's it, like the one weird exception that if, if hey if, if capcom gets snapped up then that's like that answers this question i suppose yep right? yep i think it's gonna happen uh but capcom I, also has a bunch of don't they have um american locations american developers that's a good question do they at this point i mean they used to have capcom have vancouver British, right like the dead rising studio they closed down so i don't know if there's any capcom developers in america now interesting probably pr and stuff but uh i done been too writes in and says hey gang 
Oh, hang on. Kyle needs to be here for this, and he's frozen right now, so I'll skip that one for now. Uh, Chris Prohaska writes in, and oh, hang on. Kyle's back. Uh, okay, Kyle, if you can hear me, I done been too wrote in, and he says, Hey, gang, on last week's MinMax show, Janet shared her story. <laughs> Damn it, Kyle. <laughs> all right, all right. You're back. Can you hear us? Kyle, can you hear us? Okay, your mic sucks again. Anyways, I done been too writes in. He says, hey gang, on last week's MinMax show, Janet shared her story of a traumatizing MGMT concert she attended where the MGMT fans were said to be uh, way more uh, violent than one would assume. While listening, I was 100% certain that Kyle was going to make the joke, it sounds like they could use some anger MGMT, but he didn't. So... Um, sorry. Sorry. Uh, that that I'm sorry. I don't know what yeah. else I can say, really. <laughs> if anybody else wants to ever write in for the podcast and just let us know what joke opportunities we missed, I would just be delighted by that. So please, keep them coming. Uh, Chris Prohaska writes in and says, Hey, congratulations on all the changes coming to MinMax this year. Thank you. We'll talk about that later. Um, in the spirit of these new shows, what's your favorite content you've ever made? Um, I'm, I'm boring. Uh, Nicole, what about you? Um, I guess... After I got laid off from my last job, I wrote my first pilot, and um, I just am really proud of myself that I um, did that because yeah. it was really hard. And um, so I'm so that's something I'm proud of for me. Very few people have read it, so it's like pretty easy for me to be proud of it because I have very little feedback. Um, <laughs> but the, the last job I had, I we made videos for a mobile Tetris game, and we did like five videos a day, and we would just go nuts, and we would make silly characters and like just do bits and just we did so many videos yeah. that no one was paying attention and keeping an eye on us and we just got to be so creative and it doesn't exist anymore it didn't work out the game's gone but uh yeah that was super <laughs> fun and i'm proud of all those if you don't remember this yeah this was like the tetris hq what was it called again yes it was like a tetris um tetris prime time it went through many names <laughs> oh really um, yeah yeah oh, God. mobile um, game development sure is fun I, I liked it. The several times I played it, I enjoyed it. But I was just bummed out because so much of the thrill of HQ was having like the live video. And when I realized that those videos right. weren't live, it's like, oh, it kind of loses some of the charm. I, I know that it's not going to completely melt down, but it's nice to know that at some point you were all losing your minds and creating really weird stuff eventually. So weird. Like they, just, they were like, I had no budget. And I was like, let's order props on Amazon. <laughs> like that's how much fun we had. So. <laughs> that's awesome. Um, what do you do with a pilot after you read it, by the way? Right. Um, you have to start. You have to start talking to agents. Um, so I'm gonna. Once I finish my second pilot, I'm gonna have to start writing some like query letters, just like cold calling agents and be like, please represent me so I can get a ride, a job in TV. It's a very crazy process. Every time. Hire me. <laughs> if they wanted to, what would they do? To hire me? Yeah. Oh, just email me and be like, hey, write for me, and I'll be like. Two dollars, please. <laughs> Remember us when you're famous. I, every time I hear oh, I about like people struggling in Hollywood and trying to get things made, I just get so appreciative about creating podcasts and creating stuff on Patreon. It just feels so clean and simple. We come up with an idea on Monday and then we crank it out for new show plus the next day. There's no barriers. There's nobody saying no. And the idea of like people just clawing to get up the system in Hollywood, doesn't it all just feel antiquated and dumb at this point? It feels awful. It yeah, feels the don't worst. Do it. It's all nepotism. Like it's it doesn't feel good at all. Why am I doing this? It, I don't know, but I'm happy. Okay. I all say right. out loud. <laughs> all 
All right, I won't judge anymore. Look, you're better <laughs> off than Kyle is. He's stuck in the internet <laughs> void currently. True what, words have never been said. What a disaster. Oh, Dad, what about you? What's your favorite piece of content? All right, so, damn, Kyle's not here for it, but oh well. <laughs> so, uh, one year for an E3, I was wanting to create like a fun. So, growing up, one of my favorite things was booth tours that game trailers used to do, RIP game trailers. Mm. I used to do these crazy E3 booth tours where we're like, we're on the floor. And then, you know, this is like this is like back in the booth babe era. So this is like the stone age of gaming. <laughs> right. <laughs> and they would show stuff and I'd be like, oh, I'm little Odell. That's so amazing. Look at that. And so I was like, I'm going to recreate one of those videos, but it's going to be like the best things at E3 that doesn't involve gaming. Uh-huh. And then I did it. But if Kyle comes back, I will tell you my legit number one because it's cheeky because it involves you two. Oh, go ahead and uh, look. Can, well, can you guys hear me? Yeah. Like, yes. Now it's oh, like my camera's not working, but my, my uh, microphone may be. Uh, yeah, we, okay. can, we can hear you, you weirdo. Yeah, we got gotcha. you. Oh. You can always jump in on your phone or something if you need to. Okay, go ahead, Adele. All right, so my favorite, for the show at least, involves both yourself and Kyle is when we did the Dance Central 3 test chamber. Because me and Kyle oh, had a dance battle way right. back when on the Connect, you know, that device. Yeah, you remember that? Yeah, I forgot yeah. about that. You, yeah, y'all can look it up on YouTube. It's still there. And I love it because one of the people who commented on the video gave me one of my favorite nicknames ever, Oh Delicious. Shout out <laughs> to that person. <laughs> I oh. love that. I love it that all these years later. Oh, my gosh, Kyle lives. Welcome, yeah. Kyle. It's a, it's a different camera, but it's working. Hey, so. it, it yes. freaking works. Um, that's and, nice. I and a little that. backstory that that only happened because we was at Kyle's house for a party. And his lovely wife beat me in Dance Central because she's got it like that. And then Kyle, Kyle's like, we should do this at the office for a test chamber. And I was just like, I wish that could happen. And then it did. That's beautiful. That's awesome. I forgot beautiful. about that completely. Um, let's see. Lynn writes in and says, Hold on, I want to talk about two favorite contents real quick. All right. Just real quick. Because what the theme of mine are ones that I was really excited about and really confident about and then just just landed with the loudest dullest thud ever yep Yep. uh one was i wrote a like a like a it was kind of like modeled like a children's book of like a a a book of like a rhyme you know like kids books they the whole book rhymes yeah it was like that but what it was was it was uh all the characters and why and how they decided to fight me in pokemon omega ruby and alpha sapphire and what it was it was just a way to call out how absurd it is that sometimes will people just come up to you and fight right it was just like I did this whole thing. It all rhymed. It sounded like a children's book. I was really excited about it. I thought it was really funny. Nothing. Totally dead. <laughs> and then the the other the other one is a, a a Leo Vader joint that him and I worked on together. Where you know that uh, the Pokemon rap. Remember that? Yeah, that, yeah. Like named all the Pokemon. Me and Leo made the Pokemon rap, but it was for every transformation you could do in Super Mario Odyssey. Right. And it was like it was pretty intensive actually in terms of like capturing every single one. And it and and Leo, you know, did the bulk of the work. All he did was capture it and sort of help him like write out the list and stuff like that. And we're like, this is really dumb and funny and weird. And it just like nothing. Like nobody <laughs> cared at all. It was well, so what, much. What work. would it look like if it if they did care? Is always my question. Like it'd just be the top of Reddit and everybody being like Whoever wrote this is a genius, you know? No, it would be it would be a lot of traffic, right? It would be a lot of right. hits and then just positive comments. Like, that's all I want is like, oh, this is a, a weird, funny idea. Look at know? this. But uh, okay. yeah, traffic is how I would gauge that. Interesting, interesting theory. So it got, uh, this is GameFormer's YouTube channel, it got 4,600 views. 
Um, let's see. And the comments are lovely. Somebody says, this was beautifully terrible. I love it. <laughs> so, all right, let's, let's take a listen here. Okay, guys, we got to wrap some Mario captures today. Spoilers ahead, so if you don't want to know all the things you can capture in Mario, turn this video off, and in the future, click videos better. All right, let's get it on. Cheap Cheap, T-Rex, Bullet Bill, Goomba, Fire Bro, Poison, Piranha Plant, Paragoomba, Binoculars, Cactus, Letter Big, Chain Chomp, Meat, Fire Piranha Plant, Mini Rocket, Chain Chomp. All right, now you're doing great. We cut these singing parts because no one wants to hear what that would be like. It's time to get into the weird ones. Here we go. Slidon, Lakitu, Parabones, Jizzo, Bonsai Bill, Charging Chug, Gushin, Pokio, Fulbanon, Uproot, Nucletech, Tropical Wiggler, Sherm, Moai, Shivarium Racer, Coin Coffer. <laughs> I don't know what the f I just said. Come on now, let's bring it home. Here we go. <laughs> cheap, cheap, zipper, manhole, lava bubble. Spark Rylan, RC car, Bowser Chatcher, Aerodactyl. Oh. Change on picture part, picture part, Typhoon. Tree, taxi, spoiler pole, puzzle part, hammer brew. <laughs> All right, now just four more. And it doesn't fit into the rhyme scheme I've been doing, so I'm going to have to do my best, but y'all got to promise not to judge me. And make sure to like and subscribe, all right? <laughs> Here we go. Boulder, frog, puzzle part, Yoshi. Gotta catch them all. End of song. Beautiful. You're Both telling me. Leo Vader on really just delivering uh, on that one. Look at this. Bob now, why did you have any of the ad libs like they do it like back and forth for like, yeah, man, like just pumping them up. <laughs> so gross. Uh, there's wow, a, that would have saved it. There's a comment from Bob <laughs> Buell from four years ago. He said, I would start a slow clap for this. Bravo. And now Bob Buell's See? watching us live at the backstage past here. Look at that. See, Bob was yeah. ahead of the curve. Oh, full circle. Uh, <laughs> like that's your greatest contribution, Kyle, is writing the things. Uh, Lynn writes in on Patreon and says, As a Swede, I follow mostly American outlets to get news and community updates about video games. In your professional opinion, have you noticed any difference between American and European gamers? Uh, yeah, I'm sure there's a bunch. Um, if you want to generalize, it's like, oh, okay, people in Germany like strategy games, but that's too simplistic. But I remember one that really stood out to me was visiting Bethesda for the Skyrim cover story trip. Todd Howard said that they had the data and that a wild majority, something like 90% of people in the United States play the Elder Scrolls series in first person, whereas it was the flip and like 90% in Europe played third person. Like, that's so weird. I don't know why that would be. That's interesting. Yeah. yeah. I wonder if they knew they could just push down on the joystick. Right. Is that simple? <laughs> is that simple to really get up close? By the way, how crazy is it that Pokemon you can basically play in first person now? It's weird, right? Oh. Yeah, I guess. What? Yeah. You just hold down left trigger, I guess. Yeah. Right? You can just walk around in Pokemon Legends in first person. It's awesome. I have not even thought of that. Oh, my oh God. Oh, my goodness. You got to do it. You got to do it. <laughs> um, yeah. Anybody else got any smart Europe thoughts? Well, there was one, I, this is from uh, a, an editor at Game Informer brought this up, uh, which was funny to me, is that apparently European press in sort of uh, the, the sort of sphere of, you know, video game press yeah. is always the one to ask about how long games were. Right. Like, you know, like the, anytime that there was like a group and it was like, you know, where you get to interview the director as a group, which is never ideal, but it's like it, it gets the job done. You can get some questions in. The first like question would always be from a European European outlet. And the first their first question would always be like, how long is the game? Like that was like really important to them for what for, I know it's important to Americans, too. But I guess it's really important. Maybe they're ahead of the time because it was definitely always and this is, again, generalizing in a big way. But it was always the take of like it, the European press would ask numbers like how many guns are in the game? How many blah, blah, blah. And it's like maybe they're just ahead of their times. Like people want to know how long a game is going to be yeah, like eventually would sure. realize that actually that headline would uh, bring in some clicks. So maybe they're smart. 
Uh, Christian Jimenez writes in and says, Hello, now that Game of the Year awards are all done with, uh, 2021 was a very divided year. For reference, here are the winners from various outlets. IGN gave Game of the Year to Forza Horizon 5. I'm very jealous. That's the correct call. Uh, kind of funny. Gave it to Ratchet and Clank Rift Apart. Game Informer was Halo Infinite. Easy Allies was Returnal. Polygon was Inscription. Min Max was Chicory. I guess I won't say Giant Bombs, uh, just in case it's a spoiler because they just released theirs, but it's also interesting. Um, it, it, is, it was a year, weird year. Um, do you all think Can that... I ask you a real Giant Bomb question? Is it different than the ones you just listed or is it... One, it's is one it of a, those. It's one of those. Okay. Uh-huh. Uh, do you think 2022 will be another divided year? Or, or would any of the big heavyweights take all the glory, do you think? I think it's going to be Elden Ring and no, nobody will even fight for it. I think it'll be more traditional, too. There's a lot of AAA titles coming out. You know, we're, we're going to see, not for better or worse, we're going to see that there, there's a game that's going to end up being championed. I don't know what yet. Maybe it'll be something that's not even, we don't even know is going to come out yet. And yeah. we'll see the more traditional. It won best narrative. It won best, you know, graphics. It won best yada, yada, yada. And then surprise, surprise, it won game of the year. Right, right. I mean, kind of not to assume that Breath of the Wild 2 is going to be, you know, game of the year, but... It, <laughs> or going to come out, out this year. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, if that if that suddenly comes out, that could sort of rip the rug out in terms of making it an easy pick. But I I do think Elden Ring has a lot of potential, Anson. I don't think you're wrong about but that. But the weird thing is, for the cohort group, I don't think it will. I mean, maybe you'll fall in love with it in a big way. Maybe I'm excited. A... For, I'm very okay. excited for it. In fact, like just even I was thinking recently, I was like, oh, you know, I bet if a code comes through, because usually what we do is like if we only get a, one or two codes, we kind of decide who's the most excited about it. I was like, right. I bet I'm probably the Elden Ring receiver just because I don't think anyone else is going to like <laughs> yeah. really get excited about it. But You're yeah, the Elden child. Yeah. AKA don't touch Kyle's code. That's right. That's right. <laughs> no, no, I'm very liberal with code. I heard him you want to play by all means. <laughs> yeah, basically. Uh, Taylor writes in and says, Hey, is there any game you fell off of because of the gameplay, but really like the story? I loved Hellblade's story and concept, but I really just like the overall gameplay. I, I think Hellblade's a great choice there. I was in the same camp of like, I don't want to just line up rune puzzles in the forest. It's not cool. I mean, this is silly, but I mean, most like uh, visual novels, like I, if I just, sometimes I'm playing a visual novel. I'm like, this is cool, but like, rather just kind of like read a book. Right. I'm going to play like this. I kind of want to be able to move a character around if I'm going to set aside time to play a game. Yeah. I can yeah. feel that. I think Paradise Killer was a game where I thought the story sounded super cool, huh. but then the graphics were more dated than I thought they were going to be. And then because right. it was a first person and I played on the Switch, it just didn't, it visually frustrated me um, to the point where I stopped playing, even though I thought the story was pretty interesting. Yeah. I forgot about this game. I remember Serial was really into it. He talked about it on the podcast, but it always looked cool. Yeah. I'm kind of with Kyle. Like, it's in the same vein because I've always thought in theory, I would love the dump and Ranga games because people talk about them and they seem cool. And then like I played it and I'm just like, it, you know, if I'm playing a game and I'm more interested in what's going on on my phone than the game, then, you know, we have a problem. Yes. But I was like, I like the theory. Like I like being like, who's the killer? Who this? <laughs> oh no. I want to save everybody. I want to see everyone die. Like same thing happened with a nine, 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 triple nine, whatever it was, the, oh, the sure. DS game. Yeah. If y'all mm-hmm. remember that. Like, I thought that was cool. It was it was like Saw the video game, but classy, if that makes sense. <laughs> and, like, I wanted to get, like, all the endings, but, like, I made, like, one full playthrough and got, like, a mid-tier horrible ending and was like, I don't even want... I don't want to do this again. <laughs> <laughs> sure. 
an attack corgi writes in with a question that I think is interesting, and I, I'd love to learn more about it. Uh, they say, hello, MinMaxers. I'm an intern architect, and one term I recently learned is liminal space. Have you all heard of liminal space? Uh, I, I, I have not. Okay, sorry. apparently in architecture it is, quote, spaces that feel slightly unsettling but are also very familiar to us. Like an oh. empty mall or an empty parking lot at 4 a.m. Or, this is my favorite, this is what made me read this question, or a school hallway during summer. <laughs> like, I love it. That is such a vibe is a school hallway <laughs> during summer. I love it. Like, I remember just being in a school in the summer or some other weird hours, and I remember, like, running down the halls. And normally it was, don't run in the halls. That was half my life in school was people screaming, don't run in the halls. And like getting to run full speed in the halls, I felt like I was going 100 miles an hour. It was so much fun. It was really people I gotta, There's this John Mayer song, John Mayer song that you, you're you going to love. Really? Yeah, because I would always scream <laughs> at the top of my lungs. That's really weird that you bring that up. <laughs> I just found out there's nothing such thing as a real world. Anyways, let's move on. Uh, anyways, he says, do you remember liminal spaces in gaming or maybe at a convention center or even at work? For me, a lot of portal slash half-life office buildings are liminal. They're very familiar, but they make me uneasy since everything looks dystopic and sickly. Uh, Control. Yes, I was Ooh, thinking of Control. Absolutely. Control, like everything in that game. It's like, oh, it's an office building. No, it's not. Just and so <laughs> like, with the architecture. It's a record player. It's not. Right. That is liminal the game, if I may use this word now and <laughs> act like I know exactly what it means. Um, but uh, there's remade areas like that's a good like shadow moses in metal gear solid 4 huh. i think is like a good one and in dead space 2 has a really good one where you go back into the ishimura for like a level right and it's uh it's very creepy that's, yeah yeah, that's, yeah yeah that's a cool term yeah liminal space um let's see bob buell writes in he says howdy cohorts and the dancing hansons you got us um what are your best experiences with non-gamers loving video games like my mom, for example. I don't think she's ever looked at a controller or arcade cabinet in her life, except she got super into the puzzle game Columns when I had a Sega Genesis as a kid. <laughs> Hell yeah. Uh, do y'all have thoughts on non-gamers loving video games? Something uh. that really popped out to you? I was also I mean, going to no say doubt. my mom. Yeah? <laughs> yeah, like we, I just brought the new Mario Party over to my parents' house for Christmas. And, you know, my mom just doesn't care. Like, she just doesn't care. So, like, I'll explain it to her. And she'll be like, uh-huh. And uh, she was Rosalina, and she won. And uh, now and we don't hear the end of it now. So I think that was a really fun moment. I think us. that's yeah. a testament to the design of Mario Party. <laughs> yeah, my mom won still. Someone who has uh, no interest in the game can still win. So, I guess, uh, so my lady friend, she doesn't game. But, like, she had, like, a stint in middle school where, like, she really loved The Sims. I oh, yeah. that was just like you know she wouldn't consider herself a gamer by any merit but she just loved the sims and she was always like i like the sims and she like bought the new one on like her computer one day and she was like yeah it's cool you know still the sims so uh for valentine's day 2020 i think 2021 i don't know whenever the collector's edition of stardew valley came out for the switch yeah i, I got her that and you know the special collector's edition and I was like, well, I know you like The Sims, and simulation just seems to be the only game you're willing to play. So have fun with this. And like... <laughs> you haven't seen her since? She, no, no. She's just constantly she, playing? She was constantly playing, but she asked me a question that made me just laugh my, my butt off. She was like, I'm having a hard time do stuff. Do they have like 
guides for this and i'm like game guides whoa what a concept let me let me show see you this is the problem though because now she's shamed and it's like <laughs> that was an innocent question and now she may be turned off from gaming forever but no like i showed it to her and like so if you don't know in Stardew Valley, there's like a dungeon that's like 99 levels where you know you fight little slimes and, get right, right, right. and i remember her telling me and she was like you have to fight in this game and i'm like yeah <laughs> like you like you you hit them with like a sword and she's like but you kill them and there's more levels and like after she found the guy she got like a diamond sword or something and did the whole thing and wow. she was just like i'm ready now like <laughs> that so was like her proudest moment ever and i, I love you know, that. It, it made me feel proud but again it was innocent but yes just the fact that she was like do game guys exist because i have questions because <laughs> i don't know what i i would i'm like eureka it's at yeah. least like 30 percent of the internet at this point i think so yep uh, Hugo H2P writes in and says, Hey there, creature catching cohorts. Hello. To celebrate the mighty Sinnoh and the release of Pokemon Legends Arceus, I give you a follow-up to my quiz, Kirby Boss or Biblical Angel, with a game called Pokemon or Biblical Being. Trivia time, everybody. Here we go. So guess if this is a Pokemon or a Biblical Being. I love some good Bible stuff here. All right, Kyle, we'll start with you. Manakel. Manakel. Manakel? Is that a Pokemon? I, don't, I, don't, I do. That's that's a biblical being. That is a biblical being. And somebody in the comments, please let us know what these biblical beings are all about. Um, Nicole, Azelf. Pokemon. Correct. Yeah. Odell, Silvali. Silvali. Oh, Pokemon. Yeah. Correct. I'm gonna butcher the. I also don't want to say that Pokemon's name either. It's a hot debate amongst the community. Mm. Uh, okay, uh, Kyle. Magarna. I think that's a Pokemon. Correct. All right. Nicole. Nephilim. Pokemon. Oh, I'm sorry. That is a biblical being. That is Nephilim? an angel. Like yeah. a Huffalum and Woozle? <laughs> no, it's Nephilim. I think you fought those in Darksiders, actually. <laughs> yeah, I think that's true. I'm not even kidding. It's yeah. a big gaming thing, yeah. They're all over the place, these Nephilims. Um, okay, uh, number six. Odell. Nihilego? Nihilego? Uh, see, that's a trick answer because I don't consider Ultra Beast Pokemon, but it's a Pokemon. Ooh, hell yeah, Adele. <laughs> uh, let's see. Kyle, Leuvia. Le- Le- Leuvia. I think that's a Pokemon. No, Kyle, that's a biblical <laughs> being. And for the last time, you can't catch a biblical being in a ball. Uh, okay, Nicole, Cherubi. Lots of Pokemon. Correct. But cherubs might be in the Bible. That's true. I, I doubt it, but maybe. Where do cherubs yeah, I think come in from? The Bible, angels are like horrible beings. Like, thou was terrified of thy magic, you know? Yeah. Well, I love, like, there's like biblically accurate angels, is like a, you know, like a subreddit. Huh. <laughs> people just try to draw how they're. Midnight Mass. That's Neon, Genesis, Neon Genesis Evangelion, all the angels in that show are based on the sort of the biblical descriptions of the angels which is why they're insane oh i love that so cool. there's no consistency huh. uh all right last one adele apollyon wait what a apollyon apollyon not biblical a biblical being correct it's not apollyon too uh correct there we go and then he <laughs> says all praise the almighty sinnoh and may he send you a text instead of leaving you on Red. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Hugo. I was hoping you would say Arceus so we could be like, Ooh, probably both. <laughs> yeah, Arceus is my lord. Yeah. Uh, all right, what do y'all like for question of the week? 
Mm. I mean, I, I liked the opportunity to share Leo's Super Mario Odyssey. That's right? true. That is solid. Yeah, favorite favorite thing. It's hard to beat that. I also like the SNES one because I feel like we had a bunch of great ideas for remakes. That's true. Yeah, consolidations, uh, acquisitions. Oh man, don't don't, don't put this on me because I got to go down memory lane. But I also like the love that Yoshi's Island got. Mm, okay. Oh god. If our two guests are leaning remake, are you ready to lock that in? Do 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 do. Do All right. It. I'll lock in remake. All right. There we go. We're going to do it. Congratulations, Rob Goddard. And also, this is the person who said that they just signed up for the Patreon. So congratulations. You now win a prize. So enjoy that for my mate bit. Uh, now it's time for something that we call Get a Load of This. There was music playing that you couldn't hear, Nicole. <laughs> Don't be alarmed by us dancing to nothing. Yeah, uh, that's my jam. <laughs> All right, Kyle, what do you got, man? Oh, don't go to me. I was just pulling up my list. Goes you to do someone else. Oh, here, here's one. Oh, yeah, take it, Nicole. There we go. Um, so uh, a team of U- Tufts University and Harvard University has created a uh, cocktail of drugs and chemicals, and they put it on amputated frogs, which means they probably cut off their legs first, which sucks. But then they put the cap on the frogs for 24 hours, and 18 months later, most of those frogs regrew their legs. And so this is a brand new study and um, frogs are like humans where they cannot regrow limbs. They grow scar tissue instead. So this is crazy. And um, the next (laughs) studies will probably include mammals and we'll go from there. And um, we all could be Spider-Man villains in a matter of years. Oh, I look forward to it. Sweet. There's links below for all these stories. Um, Hey, get a load of this. Uh, There is an interview, and the link is below, that was just translated, and it's an interview with Miyamoto talking about Ocarina of Time's development. Have you seen this, Kyle? Uh, Yeah, I, yeah. It is excellent. Um, There's too many interesting tidbits to run down. Um, But, you know, it's Miyamoto talking about, here's a quote, when I saw players' feedback postcards, however, many people said the difficulty level is tough, but really satisfying. Actually, even my daughter who's in fifth grade was able to reach each dungeon boss with only one continue. It's like, it's the most Miyamoto's ever talked about his daughter being apparently very good at Ocarina of Time. Um, Not surprised. Yeah, there's also just fun stuff here, like just having him break this down where he says, in terms of volume, if I had to attach a percentage of my involvement for each Zelda game, I'd say it was 70% for the original Zelda, 50% for A Link to the Past, and maybe it's dropped to 40% for Ocarina of Time. Um, oh, wow. But also he talks about like how there was a chain chomp in the game up until the very end that they took out that originally the original Zelda didn't have an overworld. It was just dungeons. Uh, there's a ton of interesting stuff uh, in there about the development of Ocarina of Time. So you can check out yeah, that. Link well, below. I mean, the original Zelda, like the idea was that people would make dungeons to share with one another. Oh, like it was like really? a multiplayer kind of thing. Huh. He also said he he doesn't he find he also said he find he also finds Navi annoying. Yep, doesn't he? Yep, <laughs> yep, yep. Um, and then he says, "Oh, I love this part too." He says, "I probably shouldn't say this, but there's still a number of things I'm not satisfied with in Ocarina of Time. Like, how did Ganon really become the way he is? Is Link the Ocarina? Is is Link from Ocarina the father of Link from the original Zelda?" Who was his mother then? Zelda? These were some of the mysteries that perplexed me during the making of Ocarina of Time. And he'll never solve those. Um, Odell, you got one? Yeah, so... uh, Oh, I have also a side one. They're bringing back um, SWAT Cats. The original creators are bringing that back, so... Yay. (laughs) Holy lord! (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, I like how y'all got excited. Y'all were born uh, in the right era. <laughs> yeah. That was a show I remember watching and being like, this intro is awesome. I love the intro. And then the show actually started, and there was a massive quality drop in animation from the intro. And I was oh. like, well, all right, I'm here. I'm in. You know, I forgot what SWATCats were. We're looking at these images. Yeah, I watched this. I think they yeah. look cool. I, I will yeah, defend so the look maybe, of SWATCats. So maybe, maybe since we're in 2020, you know, one. Two, two, whatever the year is, <laughs> you'll like it now because it'll be super fancy. Yeah, that could be. All right. Okay, but check this out, guys. There's two new world records for lightning. <laughs> All right. I'm yes. listening. <laughs> the first one is for uh, this happened actually from Houston to somewhere in Mississippi is the longest single lightning flash, which was 400, 477.2 miles long. A, a single lightning flash was that long. How Jesus. How would you possibly... I feel like it wasn't a lightning flash. It was definitely like a UFO, and we're yeah. like, it's lightning. <laughs> <laughs> how does that And then work? the second world record was for the longest continual lightning strike. So, you know, lightning happens in like a split second. Right. But they have somewhere, like, it's continuous. Like, you know, it's hitting something like or whatever. 23 minutes? Oh, no. This one was in northern Argentina, and it was... 17.102 seconds long. What? Wow. And it was all just to hit this cleavor? Yeah. <laughs> Pokemon Legends jokes, everybody. That's crazy. Um, yeah. Hey, get a load of this from the community. Um, Austin B. Media there in the community shared this in the Discord. Uh, apparently, certain affinity. Studio down there, I think it's a Texas studio. Um, apparently, they're making a Monster Hunter clone for Xbox that they're going to reveal in 2023. And then they're also making a game mode for Halo Infinite, which some people are theorizing is going to be uh, Halo Infinite's Battle Royale. So it's interesting that Microsoft would be all in, like, we need a Monster Hunter clone. Who can we get to make that? So I'm curious to see what that Western take on Monster Hunter looks like. Isn't Dauntless on Xbox? Yeah, I, ooh, probably... Yeah, and I thought back to like Double Fine was pitching a Monster Hunter game a long time ago and they couldn't get it off the ground. It was one of those Amnesia Fortnite projects. And so it's so crazy mm. that Microsoft probably passed on that back in the day. And now that Monster Hunter's blown up, they're like, okay, I what guess if we, we could do like that. a Monster Hunter crossover with, I don't know, Viva Pinata. Interesting. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. So you have to go, and then instead of just like lopping off the tail at the end, you just explode it and eat all the candy. And then that's the big victory scene. I love Isn't that. that Shadow of the Colossus, though? We'll make that a crossover. That's <laughs> <laughs> bad. <laughs> uh, all right, let's see. Plugs. Uh, Nicole. Hey. Oh, yeah. What the hell? Oh, did you, you go, just, Kyle? <laughs> I just lose my opportunity. <laughs> Sorry. Damn it. Go ahead. Uh, no, it's funny because it, it's not going to be that exciting or anything. But, uh, well, I think it's cool, actually. Hey, get a little of this. Uh, this guy, Ryan Hunter, at C E J E T V O L E on Twitter. Um, he set up, uh, he does like, you know, MIDI sound effects and, yeah, yeah. And, and that kind of thing. And he took like the Super Nintendo, I guess, like, you know, suite of sound options and stuff like that. And he played the PlayStation startup sound oh, using yes. a Super Nintendo. Yes. And it's just one of those things that just kind of like breaks your brain. And there'll be a, there'll be a link to it uh, down below, right, Hanson? I don't know yeah. if I could send it to you if you want. If you want to play it, yeah, we can't tease people. You got to send that to me. Okay, that sounds really Discord, good. Discord is that the best place to do it, or Slack? Uh, no, Slack, please. Is I'm that really like curious. a liminal sound? Like a sound? <laughs> I mean, yeah, right? I don't know. I love that. 
that is the level yeah, of geekery it's, it's that I'm very I can into. Feel it. You yeah. know, it's it's weird. That's perfect. Um, okay, now for plugs. Uh, Nicole, what should people check out if they want to learn more about you? Um, yeah, follow me on Twitter or Instagram. It's N-I-K-O-L-E-Z. Um, if you happen to be an agent, I would love to have an agent to help me be a TV writer. Interesting. Um, but otherwise, just follow me on Twitter and continue into MinMax. That's very sweet. Odell, what do you got going on? Yeah, so you can follow me at Odo Harmon Jr. on all social media, mainly Twitter. You talk to me, I talk back. I have a weekly <laughs> podcast, Full Circle Podcast. I think yeah, new episode dropped today. That's cool. Featuring uh, Alex Van Aken. So you know, oh, can sweet. check that out. It's, it's Pokemon month. So I have a, every episode this month is Pokemon themed. Uh, this month is, uh, this episode was Pokemon cards specifically. So, you know, that's always fun. But other than that, you know, I'm around. I'm in gaming spaces. Gaming spaces. There we go. Uh, let's see. For us, we have obviously the deepest dive on Pokemon Legends Arceus. I hope you enjoy that huge conversation. Um, also, on Monday, we revealed a couple new shows. Uh, MinMax Council, which is our Patreon-exclusive podcast. We are rebooting that, and that's now called Party Chat. So every single Monday... Um, I'm going to be talking to $20 supporters on Patreon. So if you want to jump in and podcast with us every single Monday, you can by jumping up to the $20 tier on Patreon and it's in discord stages. So it's a little bit like clubhouse where you're just like choosing to bring people up and we talk about what we've been playing, what we've been watching on this last episode. We had all the cohorts except for Kyle on, but that's fine. Um, but we're going to be rotating through. So cohorts will be jumping in and out. Friends of the show will be jumping in and out. So it's a fun, big group conversation every single Monday. And again, that is Patreon exclusive. If you're at the $5 tier, you unlock the podcast version of that every single Monday. Also, uh, we revealed a new show we're creating called Steam's Secret Stash where once a month, Sarah Pazorski is going to be jumping through um, all of the month's previous releases on Steam, just the weirdest, smallest games, and we're going to be exploring that with a group stream that's going to be the first Tuesday of every month, except for this month because of the Deepest Dive. I kind of threw it off, so we're going to be doing that on the next Tuesday. So next Tuesday, we're going to be doing that, um, and you can follow us on Twitch if you want to follow along with that, and then we'll be up on YouTube after the fact. And also, Kyle, we debuted a reboot, if you will, of the $50 tier. So it's no longer the thank you crew. It is now called Game Game Champions. Champions. We're at the $50 tier. You can choose any game under the sun and we will officially declare you as the champion of that game. You'll be in the description of every MinMax video and podcast as the champion of that game. And we will tweet out that you are the champion of that game. So are you ready for the Game Champions for this month, Kyle? Let's hear it. Yeah. And again, you can jump up to that $50 tier and choose any game under the sun. You can lock it in as your choice because there's still a lot of games that haven't been chosen. So the gaming champions for February 2022. <laughs> Bob Buell, first of his name, Jammer of Wins, is officially the champion of Windjammers 2. Purebred number six is the champion of Sly 2, Band of Thieves. Swiggity Swoo is the champion of Sonic the Hedgehog 2006. They could have chosen anything. They chose that one. Drew Boranis is officially the champion of Radical Dreamers. Christopher Walton is the champion of Lost Planet Extreme Condition. Spider Dan is the game champion of Illusion of Gaia. Steve B is the game champion of Jack 2. 
PrettyGoodPrinting.com, of course, is the champion of Ultima Online. Jonathan, all hail the champion of Smite. Clemen Zobel is the champion of Digimon World 3. Auntie Clark, bold move, officially the champion of, of Dying Light 2, Stay Human. A game that was not released, but you can claim any game under the sun, even those that are on the horizon. <laughs> Dominic Sachoki is the champion of Xenosaga Episode 1, Der Wills Are Mocked. Everybody knows the will to power from Nietzsche. Starkiller is the champion of Star Wars The Force Unleashed. Jawar Hello is the champion of Monster Rancher 2. Roger Reichardt is the champion of Super Castlevania 4. And don't you forget it, Ted Riser is the champion of Kodo Tag, the Warcraft 3 mod, so don't look to anybody else. And Beaten Down Brian is, of course, the champion of Dirge of Cerberus Final Fantasy 7. Great choices, everybody. Add your name to the list at the $50 tier. We'd appreciate it. All right. Odell, Nicole, thank you for being here. We appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you're welcome back it's, it's whenever been you like. It's a pleasure as always. Very sweet, very sweet. Kyle, I guess it was nice to talk to you too. Sure, when okay. it worked. When it worked. <laughs> All right, thanks so much, everybody. <laughs> we'll see you next time. Be good, have fun, let's go. Let's go.